0: Hello and welcome to Philosophy with Will Anderson. I am Will Anderson from the title of the podcast. Today's episode, Dan Illich. Um, I love Dan. He's always making amazing stuff and the latest thing that he's made is a series called Riot Act, which you can check out on Audible right now. It's out and about. In fact, we squeezed it in this episode uh, so that I could get it out to you guys the night before the final Gruen record. If you're a fan of my television show, Gruen, uh, if you're in Australia, you can watch that on ABC iview all 10 episodes from this series which I believe is probably the best series we've ever done certainly one I'm most proud of of all the series that we have done Uh, so you can check out that entire series still on ABC iview and over the next week or so I'm going to try to post repost a whole bunch of the monologues that I did during the season on my Twitter and Facebook so if you're in another country and you can't watch whole episodes at least you'll be able to see bits and pieces from that show we're really pleased to announce that the ABC has commissioned us for another series in 2020, which will be our 12th year of doing the show. Uh, so thanks to everybody for their amazing support at watching Gruen. And uh, if you haven't seen any of it and you want to check it out, ABC iView is the place for that. Speaking of plugs, 2020, I'm going on the road. Had a big year off stand-up, as people who are regular listeners to this podcast will know. Um, I've been Really examining my relationship with stand up and what I wanted to do and how I wanted to challenge myself, and uh, you know, what spaces that I wanted to put myself into next year, and what sort of shows that I wanted to do, and uh, what that process will be. Well, it's going to be a whole bunch of different things. So, on January the 11th, uh, I'm starting in Wyong uh, by doing my Will Legal show which is my show about being arrested. I'll be at the Art House in Wyong. That is already on sale. Then January 14th to January 25th, I'll be at the Sydney Comedy Store doing my completely improvised stand-up shows what You Talking About Will, every night completely different, every night made up in the room with the help of the audience. Um, I just talk about stuff and I talk to the audience and we just make a show out of it. I've been doing it for a few years at the Sydney Comedy Store. It has now grown into its own thing. <laughs> it's its own show and I love doing these shows. This is this is what live comedy is all about. It is a genuine you had to be there experience. So that will be What You are Talking About Will. That is over a third sold out already. So if you want to come and see What You are Talking About Will, Uh, then I would recommend you get into that pretty quick, uh, January 14 to 25 at the Sydney Comedy Store. February 11 to February 16, I will be in Brunswick Heads at the Brunswick Picture House uh, in the Northern Rivers of New South Wales. I will be doing my Will Inform show, which is the show that I did at the Melbourne Comedy Festival last year, uh, but didn't get an opportunity to, well, this year, sorry, 2019, uh, but didn't get an opportunity to tour anywhere else. I'm going to have a big tour of that in 2020. So it starts at the Brunswick Picture House on February 11, uh, March 3 to March 15. I will be returning to the Adelaide Fringe Festival, where I'll also be doing Will Informed. So two weeks at the Adelaide Fringe. Didn't have an Adelaide Fringe for the first time in a very long time last year. Sorry, this year, I kept saying that. Uh, But in 2020, Will Informed, uh, two weeks only, slightly smaller venue than usual, uh, because I decided a Little late, and the regular venues were all gone, but uh, slightly smaller room, which is uh, absolutely fun. And um, but it will probably sell out really quickly. So, if you want to come and see that, Adelaide getting quickly for tickets to Will Informed March 25 to April 5, first two weeks of the Melbourne International Comedy Festival, I will be doing a return season. of my most requested show, Will Legal, uh, the show about me being arrested on the flight to Wagga Wagga. So, last chance to see that show if you're in Melbourne two weeks of that show, uh, Will Eagle, uh, from March 25 to April 5. From April 8 to April 19, I'll be doing my What You're Talking About Will show. So my completely improvised stand-up show for two weeks at the Comedy Theatre. Uh, come and see me for the very first time in ever in Melbourne do my completely improvised stand-up shows maybe it'll be the last time as well if it doesn't go well but let's hope that it will uh that's what you're talking about will at the comedy theater for the last two weeks of the festival after that june 27 i'll be in port macquarie doing will legal august the 1st i'll be in cairns doing will legal uh november the 13th and november the 14th i'll be doing will informed uh, in brisbane didn't do brisbane in 2019 got it right that time Uh, But I will be back in uh, 2020, November 13 and 14. That is on sale now at QPAC in Brisbane and is selling really quickly, which is lovely. Thank you, Brisbane people. And uh, then Perth at the Astor uh, Theatre Friday and Saturday. So November 27th and November 28th, Friday the 27th and Saturday the 28th. I will be doing shows at the Astor Theatre in Perth. That is my Will Informed show. So that is on sale at the moment as well. So there you go. That's the plugs uh, out of the way. Sorry, that's a long plug, but uh, they are all on sale now and I don't want people to miss out. That is the best way to support the podcast. If you can't come and see the show, then patreon.com slash Willosophy is the place to go to, uh, to support this podcast. Now, what we're going to do in 2020 is bring a whole bunch of new content to the Patreon page. We're going to start uh, doing some exclusive podcasts up for the Patreon people and a whole bunch of other things. So you'll be able to ac- access that. It's as low as $1 per month if you go to the Patreon page, patreon.com slash Willosophy. Um, is that it? I think that's it. Um, oh, okay. I just want to say, oh, sorry, I've just grabbed my drink and I realize it has ice in it. I will uh, say a quick thank you to Apple, uh, the good people at Apple, who have named uh, this podcast, Philosophy, as one of their top 10 best listens of 2019, which is just a great compliment to everybody who helped me put this out weekly for an entire year. Um, Podcast Mike, Michael Liberale, uh, Michael, our US producer, Michael Wayne, and of course, James Fosdyke for all the original art that he does for the episodes. We're going to have another crack in 2020 at doing it every week. Uh, I'm not going to be living as as close to accessible studios as I was in 2019. So uh, it's going to be a little more difficult for us to get it out every week in 2020, but we're going to give it a crack. And the best way for you to ensure that it comes out every week is, of course, to go to the Patreon page, patreon.com slash Willosophy, and contribute there. And that'll uh, give me some finances to be able to book studios and, and fly and do interviews and, and do all the other things that I will need to do to get it out weekly. All right. That's enough. That's, that's seven minutes of plugs. That's way too much talking up the top of this episode. Uh, if you like it, please hit up Dan on all his socials and let him know. Um, but I hope you enjoy this episode of Philosophy. Hello and welcome to Philosophy with Will Anderson. I am Will Anderson from the title of the podcast. Uh, recording this one in Sydney, haven't recorded in Sydney for a while, uh, at home, uh, which is nice. I uh, don't have any lights in this house is what I've discovered. I've literally turned on every single light in the house and the room is still... I mean, it's fair to say there's mood lighting. So if this podcast has a particular you know, late night mood lighting, corner of a bar feel to it, then uh, I just want to explain that to the people listening, that uh, that is the um, atmosphere in which it is being recorded and often I find that that atmosphere soaks into the rest of the podcast. So anyway, this is how the podcast starts. I ask the guests who they are and then they tell me who they are, so guest, who are you? Uh, My name's Dan Illich,
1: I'm a uh, journalist and a comedian.
0: I think your name's Dan Illich. (laughs) (laughs) No, uh, you don't understand.
1: Well, uh, I've had to decolonise my name uh, in order to retain positions at the ABC. So it's yeah. uh, now being, being called Dan Illich means I'm a diversity hire.
0: Yeah, it, 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 so um, I joke. There was, there was a great. I, <laughs> I joke, of course, but the reason that I do joke about it a little bit is I would like to explore that idea because you're probably a good person to explore it with around sure, the. Sure. Uh, anglicization of like you know names and careers and whatever and then the changing nature of the industry now where that is, f- firstly, no longer necessary. And secondly, there are opportunities for new voices to be embraced right now.
1: And, you know, a, a cynic would say I changed my name to Dan Illick when I first started thinking I'd, I'd like to do comedy mm. and like to do media work because no one gives a, a logi to someone called Carlos Stefanovic. No. Uh, <laughs> so that's why, you know, a, as, a, as a teenager, that, uh, that's kind of why, what I was thinking. I was mm. like, well... Everyone calls me Illich at school because they don't, they can't, they can't pronounce Illich, or, or they don't think about pronouncing Illich. Well, why do I persist with trying to correct people? Let them just say it the way they want to say it, and make it as easy as and frictionless for people to to say my name. And that's kind of how I rolled for you know fifteen years and twenty years, you know, even earlier. So it's it's one of those things where now you know my my dad says it that way my my brother says uh, my my dad says it Illich my brothers say Illich and uh, and and my (laughs) my uh, sister-in-law says Illich Uh, so it's one of those things where I think I've just kind of grow up, got to grow up and I will say Illich and I will introduce myself as Dan Illich because that's the right way to say it. Now, here's the thing, Will. If you ever come to any of my shows, like Rational Fear or anything I'm hosting or if you listen to me on radio, you will hear me say both <laughs> because I haven't got... I haven't got it deep in my brain yet that it's Illich. Like it's been Illich for so long, so I'll be like, "Oh yeah, it's uh, it's uh, twelve to 5. You're listening to Dan Illich on seven hundred two, and that's that's what that you know that's what you'll get. But the thing is, um, I'm I'm trying to make a concerted effort to be Illich. And someone, you know, I get when I was Illich, I used to get uh, Serbs and and uh, people from the Balkans tell me that. I'm shameful of my of my past, and I shouldn't I shouldn't be shameful. I should be proud and I should say it the right way. so, and I have been exploring that, and so that's so, I did it on air. I did it on radio when I was filling in on breakfast one day on ABC Sydney and, and I explored it with the audience in a, in a fairly public way, you know. There's only a certain number of people that listen to radio. <laughs> and I said, so should I be Illich or should I be Illich? And overwhelmingly the text messages, the phone calls were, you should do Illich. And so from that point on, I tried to do Illich. Now, there's an interesting thing where my uncle, George Illich, is a broadcaster and he's Illich, and he was on 2CH for years and years and years. But he also.
0: Well, you have to call it, be called Illich if you're on 2CH. <laughs> I mean, it was on brand. You're just going to confuse people. Okay, now get.
1: <laughs> okay, that is really interesting because I tell you what, he spells his last name I double C H. I don't know whether he did mm. as a branding idea.
0: Well, weirdly <laughs> enough, I spell like Anderson now with triple M at the end. <laughs> <laughs>
1: And some yeah, yeah. The
0: three M's together are pronounced like an N, guys. Mm. That's how it works.
1: That's what. That's what we did. That's what we did. Yeah. Uh,
0: do you feel, without wanting to overexplore explore it, do you feel that Dan Illich is a more honest version of who you are? Therefore, you know, gives you the opportunity to reconnect with that a bit, or is there no real discernible difference in? Yeah, what it means to your work and your place in your work. Uh, if you could move the microphone slightly closer to your face, sorry. that would be great for me. Yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, I'm a professional broadcaster. Uh, <laughs> well, th- yeah, but this is an unprofessional thing. setting, it's unprofessional and problem. so you
0: have to remember I, to I have no idea. I'm not lower your counts. expectations.
1: <laughs> I, I don't know. I, uh, if you, if you ask the people close to me, they constantly mock me for it, um, and they think I'm illic too, <laughs> like you will, <laughs> and that, and that's fine too, but. Uh, I don't think there's any discernible thing. And when people ask, what should they call me? I often give them an out and say, you can call me whatever you like. I say Illich, but you can say Illich, whatever you, whatever is, you know. It's
0: interesting that though, because so often as a, you know, like, you know, predominant norm in this country, you know, white straight, you know, man hosting a panel show on the ABC. (laughs) (laughs) Couldn't be more cliched in some ways. Um, You know, often I'll encounter people who either are from a foreign uh, background directly or have a family from a you know from overseas originally mm. and ask them you know how, how would you like me to say your name mm. and what i find is often you know it must be a you know defense mechanism or a, a, an ease mechanism growing up which is to say whatever you want mm. i don't actually want the answer whatever i want i i want the answer how would you like me to say your name not uh, you know, I have no interest in it, it being easy for me. I have an interest in me saying the name the way that you want me to pronounce the name. And it's the same with, you know, whether it be pronouns or any of yeah. anything like that. I'm very happy to call somebody whatever they choose to be called.
1: Mm. Well, uh, Dan Illich Esquire is mm. kind of what I'm after.
0: <laughs> okay. Well, in that case, Dan Illich Esquire. <laughs> Uh, it's nice to have you on the podcast it's, it's good to be here uh do you have a philosophy
1: uh i like to make things i think it's make mm, good things yeah i think make good things
0: make make as many good things as you can it's a good philosophy yeah, yeah and i do think it's very accurate for you because the one thing that i know about you um in a professional sense is i don't know if i have ever met anyone sam back i would put in the same category but you just constantly are creating things—small things, big things, medium-sized things. But there's always this sense of, "I'm working on something. I've got an idea. I'm <laughs> going to execute the idea, and I'm just going to make it, regardless of the fact that there's a home for it or a place for it, or I'll find a home for it or a place for it."
1: Uh, that's yeah. I think that is pretty accurate. I, I I just think if there's a good idea, it should be made. You know, and I get I get really anxious and nervous when there are good ideas that aren't being made and i think for me that's the one thing i hate particularly about this industry is that you can have a lot of good ideas and and there are people in the way that stop them from being made and so where you've got the opportunity to do so to use your power to make something that wasn't been made before that's pretty cool to go from this is like bad startup language but to go
0: from zero to one
1: that's that's pretty amazing something that didn't exist now exists and that's that's a real That's a real thrill, you know like it feels would, like you, it shouldn't
0: be zero to one it feels like it should be go zero <laughs> to one hundred, which is the first step because you should get a hundred points for how hard it is to go from zero to something
1: well it, it's hard to go to one like it's hard to get mm. the the thing the first thing going, and if you can get that going then that's that's great like not I I, I I will probably you know I, I like to think I've done a lot of cool stuff, but the problem is for me. I haven't received a lot of monetary success for it because I feel like I've scattered my ideas and creation across a lot of different platforms and things. If I just did one thing over and over again, I'm pretty sure that's the way to an to, to order the success.
0: There's certainly the industry itself often rewards uh, master of one over jack of all trades. Exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas it's actually, particularly in this, these modern times... I would argue that it's more beneficial to have your skill set, which is an adaptable skill set that can make what you make wherever it needs to be made, yep. than it is to have somebody who maybe is, like, say, good at hosting free-to-air television shows. <laughs> as we how's all know, how's that industry going, by the way? Yeah, well, people—the the guy who was best at running a blockbuster video <laughs> store—doesn't really matter that he was only really good at one thing. You yeah. know, if you're not good at, you know, transitioning into the next generation, and we often think. This is the problem we find with the environment, I think, so often, is that we don't put any effort into getting people, say, who are working in coal-fired power plants and 10 years beforehand put in place a series of measures whereby you can multi skill those people so that when the coal-fired power plant shuts down, those people can easily walk out into other jobs, either in the power industry through renewables or in other industries where their skills can just be easily transferable exactly exactly and there are
1: folks who work in those industries and all the supporting industries to get those power plants going who know that climate change is real who aren't deniers who believe in the science who are very progressive in their values but at the moment they're getting paid one hundred eighty thousand dollars a year to fix the trains to drive the coal you know that's that's one of the things where it's like well well, that's the opportunity that they're they're they've got right now to put food on the table for their family. These aren't these aren't quote unquote bad people who are climate deniers who who don't uh, who who aren't who aren't acting in bad who are acting in bad faith. These are these are good people and they and they're smart people and they can be retrained to do other things. But, yeah. you know, if having we, that point if we course. think
0: of the idea that people having multi skills is a positive thing like in general across society like it's an idea that should be embraced that adaptability in of itself is an rule quality rather than just a specific skill set
1: yeah yeah being able being able to change being able to uh, uh oh, i hate i hate using startup language but you p- can use p- it p- Not, but like you know what
0: no no, no one really comes on this podcast and uses startup <laughs> language so if you continue to use it it will be an interesting <laughs> insight into the world of startup language
1: well I'm not really part of it but I just, and I just watch, read a lot about I it I watch Silicon
0: Valley yeah, so good. I feel so we like all I can know, we all know up. what's going <laughs> on
1: yeah but to be able to pivot to something else when you know the thing that you're working on right now isn't going so yeah. well and that's that's a really hard dilemma to be in
0: and when I do of course my stand-up show Willicom Valley <laughs> where I only talk about startups all this material will be in it yeah um, Uh, Which of the things that you have done did you like doing the most? Um,
1: That's a really good question. I think where uh, I've managed to create something and collaborated with some really great people. Any time where you get a great idea and you put a flag in the ground and say, hey, everyone, I'm making this great idea. Do you want to help me make it? And people say, yeah. And people like of calibre want to say, yeah. That's incredible. Like when I had Beaconsfield, the musical, uh, when I first put that on at the Fringe Festival in 2008, it was so amazing to think that, like now, in 2019, to look back at that cast and go, oh, Kate McLennan was in that, Toby Trusslove was in that, Robbie McGregor did the voiceover for it live, he played characters in it. Uh, Nigel Ubrine, who is now touring the world with Calamity Jane, did the music for it. It's like, holy shit, these amazing people were all in this show that I, cre- <laughs> that I created. That's, that's phenomenal that people want to invest in an idea that you have and want to um, be a part of a team to see this idea work.
0: You're currently working on a project that fits that very description, right? Or yeah. have you finished
1: it? Yeah, we've finished it's it. It's finished. We've delivered. We haven't. I don't know when you're going to release this. Well,
0: I'll, <laughs> this will come out one week after, I believe. It. So, what, when does it launch?
1: Uh, December second.
0: Yeah. Okay. So one week after it's been out. So, but like, it's out now it's and people out, can go and now, check people it out. Can
1: download it. So the show is called Right Act. It's a Audible original series, eight by half hour comedy show that Mark Humphries, Evan Williams, and Casey Anning and I have have written, and I produced and directed. And it's it's eight half hours of a sitcom about the breaking bad of a conservative commentator. It's, a, it's, a, it's about a, a radio shock jock who kind of is flailing in a midnight slot and uh, takes over the, the breakfast slot and learns how to be racist and becomes really successful. And <laughs> and and his and other people in, in that world. Including well, that's his...
0: what the movie Falling Down would basically be if it was made these days. That's right. You yeah. know? Yeah. Like the guy would go home and start a podcast. <laughs>
1: become really successful yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. So. And that's re- it's really fast. It's really funny, and we we wrote this up as a TV idea. And, oh, okay, so yes, I was going to ask where did it start. Well, I was in Los Angeles, and my um, to use more startup language, my runway was running out. <laughs> 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 I got I got made redundant from a from a, from a TV job in uh, in LA, and I I was living there for six months without kind of proper work and kind of just doing a lot of improv and you know stuff you do in LA in between to fill the gaps, and uh, and then I was like, well, I, I guess uh, the money's running out i guess i've got to think about going home soon so i mark Humphreys, um it's so mark humphries is an absolute genius and he was um
0: for people who um i know mark well actually I, i've never met mark i don't believe but i um have uh, corresponded with him online and oh, i followed his stuff i really admired um you know well i have admired all the stuff that he's done across the bunch of platforms that he's done i think he's a really talented guy um but for international listeners, for people who might not be aware of who Mark is, who is mark uh,
1: Mark Humphreys is kind of like a Colbert-esque character. he's a straight guy that acts funny he's um, yeah. white blue eyed, big teeth, and look all, for all intents and purposes looks like the um looks like the looks like he could run the Aryan race yeah. he's, he's, but he's also yeah
0: not be the leader necessarily <laughs> yeah. but the guy who definitely runs it
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> He's, um, and but he's also extremely funny and a satirist and a writer and a creative in his own right. And he's a TV host, um, and he is absolutely brilliant. He, when I was doing a TV show called Hungry Beast on the ABC, Mark Humphreys, uh, was our intern at, at Hungry Beast, so he would be getting us coffees and, and like helping us create, create scripts and you know produce scripts and stuff like that. And and so I've had a, that's where we kind of met, and I was like, oh, this guy's. Pretty interesting. it's pretty funny. Then he, when he went to the feed, he started doing a lot of satire, uh, and his stuff was always a standout. Um, Incredible in
0: shareable content.
1: Shareable bite-sized content. He play. He plays a lot of Australian polit politi- uh, politicians and things like that because of the way he is uh, and the way the way he looks. He's perfect, perfect for it. So that kind of Colbert-esque sort of vibe. And he also had this character called. Campbell Parks. Campbell Parks was this Andrew Bolt, uh, Sky News, kind of commentator, uh, a right-wing kind of shock jock, and he used, to, uh, he used to do his own version of the Bolt Report. It was called Campbell Parks, the way it is, and he used to do this on SBS, on a public broadcaster in Australia, and it was really funny to watch. And I just thought, gee, that's that's got a, a life in it. I reckon there's a world we can create around this character that can be really funny really engaging say something about australia at, at the same time and i always had this idea i had this sketch that i've always wanted to do but haven't found a reason to do it and it was a cronulla riot memorial march <laughs> i just thought oh, wouldn't that be great to do a cronulla <laughs> some kind of cronulla riot memorial march you know but...
0: who couldn't do that dan illich but you know no, but who can do that dan, dan illich, illich.
1: <laughs> prominent lebanese comedian <laughs> uh, dan illich and so, when I kind of I kind of put these ideas together, I'm like, wow, great! So I called Evan and Mark up from LA, and I'm like, guys, I've got this idea. I'm, I, hey guys, I'm calling from Los Angeles. I've got a great idea for you. <laughs> so we started working on Skype and kind of plotting out the beats for this, um, what this could be, this kind of eight-part series. And we kind of plotted out the beats as a, as a TV show, and then started shopping around TV networks and um, got um, feins of interest from people, which was great. And then. Uh, when I got home and I ran I ran uh, Tonightly on the ABC with Tom Ballard, which was a, a great show.
0: Don't remember it. <laughs> Good thinking. Uh, uh, And I uh, was at uh, Tom Ballard's birthday party, his 30th oh, his birthday 30th party on, the on, uh, on Saturday night. And uh, part of the 30th birthday party was a series of friends and comedians uh, gave him a roast, a comedic roast. Fantastic. So it's fair to say, heard a lot of jokes about Tonightly. Totally. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. I think
0: Melbourne. I think it was Nath Melbourne. Somebody's line was like who would have known that uh, Australians after a hard day of working at the office wouldn't want to come home to a relaxing half an hour of being lectured to. <laughs> 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 uh as you know Danny but uh, some people uh, uh listening might not know so I'm going to say just for the record I loved tonightly. I thought it was uh exactly the sort of programming that the ABC should be making and I campaigned hard when the show was being cancelled for it not to be cancelled and I still, to this day, take any opportunity I can to share it and lobby for it and talk about how good it was because I hope that at some stage someone from the ABC will listen to one of these fucking things and they will be reminded that this is exactly what the ABC should be doing, encouraging new comedians, new talent... People with dangerous ideas, pissing people off, making these exciting, low-budget, hard-working, brilliant things that train directors and producers and cameramen and writers and interns yep. who become performers and all these sort of things. And I think it is an absolute tragedy that that show is not on television anymore.
1: One of the great joys of my life was running that show, and because I, I you know, my philosophy is is to make good things and as much of it as possible. You couldn't ask for a better platform yep. than Tonightly. Because you had extremely talented people being given a blank slate every day to fill on the national broadcaster, which at the time, you know, we saw as high stakes and as you should when you're being bestowed um, time and resources and, and, uh, and energy to on, on the public dime to make stuff. And we yeah. tried to make as much good stuff as possible. And when you look back at the stuff we made, it it's still so relevant, still so current, still so interesting and funny and biting and wonderful that it's hard to believe that the ABC made the choices that they did in losing that and what they did in losing that is not only a show but is what you mentioned is they lost uh, a community of people who would be able to um, hold up the ABC in many different forms in thousands of other programs for the next 15 years and it's so it's so
0: and even w- if it weren't tonightly you know say say that horse has bolted yeah then it should have been the next version of Tonightly. Yeah. Or they should have been running four shows a week, one of them with Tom Ballard and the three other nights with three different hosts but using the same resources and the same teams and giving them their own flavour or any of these things. That, one of the, when I started out 25 years ago, when I first started working at the ABC, uh, when I started doing Good Newsweek, well, 22, 23 years ago, uh, when I started doing Good Newsweek, it was an amazing opportunity for young performers because there was always one seat on that panel w- that was pretty much for new people, and every single week, whether it be you, know, myself, or a range of other comedians of my age, and you know who got these opportunities on this great show, where they let you be great because you didn't have to, you know, run the thing. You just had to get a few good lines away, and it would, you know, they'd highlight you being successful. Yeah. And I look at Australian television right now. We are having the biggest comedy boom that has ever happened in Australia. We have more talented performers across the board working in comedy, particularly at that level that need that television exposure and that next level exposure. There's ten times as many as when Good News Week was on and these opportunities were around for those young performers. And the fact that there isn't one now... Like, I was having this conversation with someone the other day and I literally was thinking about pitching a show to the ABC, a panel show. I don't want to do another panel show necessarily, but... I think that I could probably get one up, you know, because I have another successful show at the network. This is, I mean, this and is the,
1: I've been in those meetings where it's like, well, unless you're Will Anderson or Dave Hughes, you're not, we're not going to commission this.
0: Right. But I am one of those two. <laughs> yeah, I know. I am Dave Hughes. <laughs> <and> I'm <laughs> angry. <laughs> uh, but, but this being my point, which is the, re, the main reason that I would be pitching that show was for that seat that was reserved for yeah. here's the new person. He is the person who deserves an opportunity to go on TV yep. and get introduced to new audiences. And, and Tonightly was so good at doing all that. What it probably missed out on was having the support around it that would bring in the audience and the comfort that the kids didn't have to run the whole fucking show. Now, that was also what was great about it. Yeah. But ultimately, probably what meant that it just didn't have that substance around it to help them build an audience.
1: It just, I mean, I, I think it would have been great on ABC One as well. You, yes. know, you know, I,
0: look, there's many things
1: about Tonightly that could have been better. Anyway, yeah. we don't have
0: to go, we don't have to <laughs> dissect it all, but I wanted to say what I wanted to say.
1: <laughs> well, that's good. I, you know, I went for the job of q and EP, <laughs> and I said, why did you even think about Tuesday me to come and have this interview? He's like, oh, damn, yeah, we love your energy, we love what you did with Tonightly. I said, yeah, but they axed it.
2: Mm.
1: <laughs> you know, it's mm. like...
0: Yeah, and they're like, we're trying to get rid of this show. And I said, I, I was
1: like, are, you, are, you, are you interested in evolving Q&A? Like, I'd be interested in doing doing the job if yeah. you wanted to evolve it and maybe we could put some more comedy in mm-hmm. it. And they're like, oh, we just don't know if it fits. And i upload him some Irrational Fear stuff and they're like, oh, well, that is funny, that would work in Q&A. I'm like, yes, I know, it's a woodwork. And it's just like, Yes! Yeah. Anyway, and I said, you're not going to choose me. You're going to pick someone who is, who's made ABC things in the past and is in-house, and sure enough, they went with someone who was safe hands. And, of course, they just want Q&A to be Q&A. I said, I got asked, if you offered this job, would you take it? And I said, uh, yeah, only if you're interested in involving it. I'm not here to manage Q&A. I'm here to make Q&A. And uh, I think they probably left a sad, a sour taste in their mouth.
0: Well, you've got to, you only owe people the truth. So, you can't, like, okay. there's no
1: way I would not be happy running, uh, managing Q&A as it stands if, if they just wanted to do what they were doing.
0: So, um, okay, so you're making this thing with um, these bunch of people. You pitch it from LA. You say, hey, here's this idea I have. You shop it around, to so some TV networks. When does it become an audio idea?
1: Oh, well, I saw Mark I saw Mark Fennell. He was getting some love from Audible and he was talking with people about about his audio
0: documentaries. It Burns? It Burns, yeah. It burns, it's about which the just got nominated for a, a rose, door. rose door.
1: Yeah, and it's really great storytelling. And Mark Fennell is a phenomenal producer. What many people... Who may who may not appreciate about Mark for now is yes he hosts a lot of TV shows yes he is at the front of stuff for for the feed and he's a great presenter but he actually does pretty much all the editing of Mm. his work as well and he 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 polishes things so they are just brilliant and It Birds is pretty good listening if you're on Audible check it out so I heard he had to show up. So I was like, well, I'm jealous." <laughs>
0: good, good motivating
1: factor.
2: Oh, <laughs> well,
1: if he's got a show up, I can get a show up. What's going on there? So I went to the good people at Audible and um, uh, went and pitched a whole bunch of things that I'd been working on, including um, you know, irrational fear and game shows and um, uh, other narrative comedy. And this was another one that we'd been worked on, Campbell Parks, and and they said, "Well, we don't know. Uh, we don't know if the Breaking Bad of a of a of an Australian shock jock is going to be great for the global market, but you know, leave it with us. So then, two weeks later, they said, "Hey, we we spoke to the UK about this idea. They really love it." And I'm like, "Great, fantastic!" So they commissioned they commissioned the writing. So Mark, Evan, and I um, uh, gave us a small amount of money, and we spent it all on cafe tabs around Sydney. And <laughs> well, the the great
0: um, part of the idea is that 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 idea is an international idea. So even if the characters themselves aren't international. You look at an Alex Jones or exactly. you look at yeah. what it potentially looked like Louis CK is going to do with the comeback in his career which is lean into the sort of, you know, politically incorrect nature of it for yeah. profit. Now maybe that's not the case, but that seems to be the indication so far of the direction he's going to go. That idea of courting a captive audience Cynically, is an international idea.
1: Yeah, and so we've kind of got these two main characters. Um, Mark Humphreys plays uh, Campbell Parks and Liv Hewson in LA. Um, She recorded her part as Trudy Campbell's sister who runs an activist group called Activate. Oh, great. Great. And because Evan and I worked at Get Up for years, we have a lot of funny things we want to include. So what you've got is you've got these two characters who are brothers and sisters, who are these uh, cynical... Uh, self-serving kind of people trying to use their various audiences for their own personal gain (laughs) so it's kind of this it's it's kind of it's not a story about it's not really it's less about Australian media it's more about politics at the extremes
0: and the idea that they are related to each other might seem like that's to me that is one of the most interesting ones I think of the former Australian Treasurer Peter Costello and his brother Tim Costello, yeah, Tim Costello. P- yeah, who's, Tim Costello. Uh, uh, is he what's he? A a World Vision's vision, not a reverend. Is it? What's he? Oh, is he yeah, a reverend? Tim, Tim Costello, Tim yep. Costello, uh-huh. and World Vision charity work, like dedicated his life to that. And his, you know, his brother was the you yeah. know, Liberal Treasurer yeah. of Australia. Yeah, um, so.
1: And let's not forget Tony Abbott, Prime Minister of Australia. Right. And, and He's oh, lesbian his, sister. Well, his lesbian sister. Yeah. She's also conservative, yeah, right? That's true. Christine Foster. Yeah. But yeah. I think so we're, he th- just I think we're be- forgetting He Adolf- just
0: didn't believe in her lifestyle. Right? Yeah, Rather that's than
2: right. <laughs>
0: loved her politics. <laughs> just didn't as a her person. lifestyle. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And
1: then you've got Adolf Hitler and then Punky Hitler. Yeah. Who was. Of course, <laughs> yeah. ran Punky, the <laughs> yeah. alternative
0: yeah. website. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Okay, so how do you then make something like this?
1: Well, we just sat down and wrote it and we wrote it like as if we would be making a television show. So we kind of uh, wrote it out like a, like a sitcom and then we had a great editor in the UK, a script editor called David K. Barnes. And he would come back with notes that would magically fix our narrative. Uh, this was one of those things where Mark Evan and, 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 and I had never written long form Narrative before, and it's something—it's the next step that you want to do. Like when you're when you've reached the heights of short form content, you know, making little videos on the ABC and SBS, you know, all you want to do is long form stuff. But no one's going to give you the opportunity to long form stuff. <laughs> so uh, this is really exciting for us because it was like we got to pop our long form cherry and kind of workshop how to create narrative over eight episodes with the help of um, this guy in the UK who didn't stomp on any of our jokes magically pushed characters and storylines in ways that unlocked the possibility for it all to be cohesive. And it's one of those things where we're like, oh, f- of course, fuck, that makes more sense. That's so amazing. And then it allowed us to go and backfill with jokes and, uh, and break, the back of, break the back of each episode that way. And even towards the end, when Casey Anning came in to help us rewrite some of the woman characters in the show, um, we ended up like changing a whole arcs just to make that stuff fit but it made everything so much better and and wonderful that it was um it was really hard work to get those scripts ready to ready to record but they were in a really good spot when we did and that meant when we recorded we could record in four weeks with as many good people as possible slam and bring them into the studio and record it as fast as possible and that was a, a really scary experience but we got it done
0: How, when you're casting something like that, do you cast... Like, are you looking for... Are you writing with people that potentially would do it in mind or are you writing the characters as they are and then looking at the page and going, who would be able to voice or play this character?
1: Yeah, so often when we're doing read-throughs over and over again, we're all playing... Mark and I play all the voices because Evan doesn't read any of the scripts out loud for some reason so mark and I mark and I pretend to be uh, Australian comedians and, and doing it in in kind of their their cadence to kind of hear the rhythm of what we think it might sound like with this person or what sound like with that person and if that person says no then we've got to figure out who could do that you know but most of mostly most of the people we asked to do it said yes and like the first big one off the rank uh, the first cab off the rank was tony Munn. like I, I just emailed tony and said hey we're writing this thing could you be um- all the voices <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, Could and, you just do this character and this character and then these eight characters? We've got
1: a right-wing shock jock who hosts The Breakfast Show on a poorly rated ra- radio station who dies in episode three. <laughs> Could you do this? And he's like, oh, yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, oh, yeah, I'm in. I was like, Would you mind coming to Sydney for four hours to do it? Like, yeah, that's great. Can you do it for $42 an hour? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's like, oh, my God. Like, how... Like, to have, Mar- to have Tony say yes to our project was so great
0: because it just buoyed Mark, Evan and I. Um, I think also that Tony, though, without wanting to speak for Tony, has always been... He's been a guy who I think if he hadn't, like, you know, had such a successful radio career might have been a bit like you, because he's always working on different things and different projects. Like, even in his life, you know, how he's currently walking every street in Melbourne, this, like, insane, like, you know, <laughs> 10 what years he's doing? project. Yeah, they're oh walking the God. Melbourne, it's him <laughs> and his partner. Right, 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 and, like, so they take a suburb at a time, they work <laughs> outwards, and they're walking every street in Melbourne. So he's always doing things. Yeah. And even his radio shows were a series of, little, you know, three-minute bits or yeah. shareable... In these days, would be very shareable content. Like, you look at their old albums and the sketches and stuff. Like, they easily could have been three-minute shareable content sketches. They just happened to be in this, late two-hour radio show that they would do every day. Yeah. And now with Sizzletown, you know... You've this, got it all. <laughs> yeah, you know, this podcast that he really just... You know, it's just Tony at his mad genius best, you know, working in collaboration, making a thing. So I think that he probably looks at the way that you make things and has an admiration for it and understands like that you're a fellow traveller in that in that world I think.
1: We really got that vibe and it was a real thrill for us to have him on the first day covered record with us because we just we cleared the decks just for Tony for that day because we're like, well let's get all the Tonys parts done. We'll put him up first so that'll be like a thrill for us. And it really was quite magical and
0: mark and then we can compare everybody else to, <laughs> to Tony, <laughs> Tony Mark
1: and they were pretty good they some of them really held up some of them really held up but it just for us because Tony of course in the late show is such an iconic show for for a for, a, for such a gen, for a generation of, of performers um,
0: was you know a hero so it was great so it was really really fun and he it's almost like the ABC got a bunch of young comedians. <laughs> and that
1: yeah to, yeah, to make mistakes live on television. Now, who would that would never happen now? No, I actually tend
0: to define an entire generation of future comedians, but sure.
1: I've actually been thinking about you know trying to get projects up at the ABC and starting a new production company and just calling it Boomer content. Mm. And, <laughs> and I think, oh, oh, we've got Boomer content coming mm. in today. let's <laughs> we'll just take a meeting with them. Where did this idea come from? It came from Boomer Content. Well, maybe we should commission this. Boomer Content. Sounds like more of a Boomer Content idea. We should get them to make it. I think it makes a good idea. In fact, you may see a press release of Mumbrella sometime next week.
0: <laughs> well, wow, that would be the place for some Boomer Content. <laughs> Mumbrella. <laughs> um, okay, okay. And so, then so al- yes.
1: also folks that are in it uh, include like um, uh, Gretel Colleen is not it, uh, which is really great. And she is a... Uh, uh, a very specific performer and she is great to work with when you're when you're friends with Gretel you could get some good stuff out of her like she can be combative sometimes because she's got really great ideas about what she wants to do but she's also really fun to kind of work with to get those ideas into the vision of the show so she was really she was really great and then pretty much it was just about bashing the phones and trying to find as many friends as possible to kind of to kind of cast this thing. Uh, I called you, but you, you, but you of course are busy.
0: I was a bit busy. (laughs) You had a bit bit busy. Actually, I really wanted to do it. Like, and in fact, I basically said to you that I would do it and then, the dates, literally, I just mm. was not in. the Yeah, the same and, and that's totally fine. Like, yeah. I,
1: I was like, "Well, you know, I think mm-hmm. Will would love to be mm-hmm. a, a member of the IPA. I think he yeah. would. I think he would find that very funny." No,
0: I mean, <laughs> I, I would have said yes without reading the script, but you sent me the script, which I did find very funny, and I was disappointed that I couldn't couldn't do it. But um, but it was one of those things where it's just like you call people and
1: mm-hmm. and you tell them what you're doing, and they're excited. Plus, Dan, nobody ever asked me to do acting.
0: <laughs> I felt. I, mean, I felt, I've seen your
1: Maxi Bond commercial, <laughs> <laughs> and
0: I think that's why nobody ever asked me to. Do do acting however it was nice to get an opportunity i was sad that i couldn't take it
1: well you know i think you would have done a great job Uh,
0: so um okay so you put all this together Mm. i'm interested in the nature of collaboration in general because you talk about what it was like with gretel working with her but in a project like this you're working with a whole range of people who i'm sure come with very different attitudes and ideas and levels of preparation like some people will be not prepared at all and on the day go chuck us the script and I'll have a go some people will be like I've had a real think about this and this is my take on this character well the great thing is working with comedians is Mm. people don't we don't think about things that deeply
1: Uh, and I think, you know, Rob Sitch has said yeah. this a lot of times when he's yeah. talking about Utopia. It's like, oh, the great thing about working comedians, you just tell them what they do and they do it. <laughs> and we just worked with comedians, except for the only actor on the project really was Liv Hewson. And she's a proper Hollywood star. <laughs> and she she has like three Netflix films and a big blockbuster coming out next year. And she and I said, do you want to do this for $42 an hour? She said, yeah. <laughs> so it's like, and she, when you listen to her, do her lines, you can tell that she's the proper actor.
0: Right. And you can hear... <laughs> she understood understands her motivation. Yeah, you yeah, you could hear her
1: choices. And when I was directing from Sydney, um, her down the line, so we tried to record mm. as many people together as possible. And so we had, we booked a studio in LA uh, and and we booked and we had as many characters come into the studio in Sydney so everyone can hear each other. And when you gave her a direction, she would just pivot and get and move on that, move on that note straight mm. away and just nail it. So that was really great. And then another person who did a really great job listening back to it um, was Angelie Rao. Angelie Rao is a CNN broadcaster who's had a show, has had great big shows on CNN where she's had two hundred million people watch her show every year. She's interviewed like Bill Clinton and uh, been seduced by Bill Clinton and and or <laughs> Go attempt, attempted, attempted yeah, to. I was going to say you probably <laughs> need to clear that up. <laughs> she can tell the story. You, know, you should talk to her. Uh, and it, like it, because we, we had this role for a woman of color who is a producer at this radio station who's not going to get a break in Australian media. And she you know, when I did when we did the casting, she was the only one that I couldn't really find for the role. So we put a casting call out for her and when she when her tape came in The irony in,
0: is the reason you can't find that person is because they're all women of color who haven't been given an opportunity in the position.
1: This is the have. this is the thing. This is the mm. th- this is the absolute thing and it's it's kind of fascinating to kind of be in this in this space where I've got to find this this person, and it's Angela. and Angelie is like this story is my story, like what you've written here is like conversations I've had at SBS, you know, <laughs> like it's such a weird kind of myopic um, place, Australia, and when you have lived around the world, you can kind of see that when you come home, and it's a little disheartening. So it's she is just brilliant because it's more of a a Stanislaskian approach for her. It's more, She's lived the life of this of this producer. Yeah. My
0: method of getting into this character is my entire life, life up until yeah. this point.
1: Uh, and when you listen back, you're like, wow, she, like her voice is great, her mm. tone is great, her jokes are great, and it was a real thrill to kind of have her come up from Melbourne. It was, um yeah.
0: Speak to me about that observation you just made about, you know, having worked overseas and then coming back to Australia and having a sense of, you know, what we are like as people, but also... Not necessarily even what we are like as people, but how our media portrays what we are like or represents what we are like as people.
1: In, it's kind of interesting for me. I feel like in a, in America, the scene, the the news scene over there is so robust, and journalists are so fearless in kind of how they go about their jobs. And I feel like here, there are a lot of good journalists, but there are a lot of there's a lot of lazy journalism. That um, just kind of comments on itself a lot, and that's really it's really disheartening, and it's kind of annoying, and it's because we are look constantly looking at ourselves. We don't, we can't see the world that we live in. We can't see the place that we live in. When I say place, Asia, like we're not, we don't look, we don't understand what's happening in Indonesia, uh, we don't understand what's happening in the islands, we don't know what's happening in Papua New Guinea, we don't, ha- we don't know. Uh, we don't know what's really happening in New Zealand. Um, and it's one of those things where we're not open, we are not looking around us where we live. And that's that's really strange to me having lived in America where so much of it is about um, like, you know the pla- their 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 place in the world is very is very similar in that they don't really look at each other at all, but also they've got real interest in they though they do have real interest in um, uh, Central America and Mexico and Canada, and you 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 un- you hear you hear and under- understand these stories that are coming from those places, and you can get those perspectives um, in a more meaningful way.
0: Do and, you think uh, part of it is our geographical wall that we have, like the fact that we are an island, that we're not literally connected to any other country? I think that's
1: a large part of it. Like we have a, we have this moat, you know, around us, and we don't have to. We we just don't have to look around. We just don't have to see see our place in the world. I used to have a girlfriend who worked for the International Red Cross. And when she lived here, she was just so furious about living here because no news was happening here. Everything was happening everywhere else. (laughs) She said, you know, by the time we wake up, all the news is gone. You know, it's, 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 (laughs) and nothing happens, nothing happens in Australia. And that's kind of, that's kind of what I base this character on, um, is uh, that kind of notion. And so it's one of those things where I, I, I feel like we are, We're myopic and we don't look to what's happening in the world in in a meaningful way, and I feel like other other countries do.
0: Um, Is the media changing? Like, we've joked, you know, on and off about, you know, um, know, the opportunity that there are for new voices now. It feels like it is opening, or at least parts of it, are opening up to new voices. But like any progress, it seems still pretty... Like, for some people, it seems way too fast. Yeah. And but for I'm sure the people who are actually involved who are finally getting a voice and being represented, it feels way too slow.
1: I I think that's right. I think I feel like I don't want to. I don't look. I joked before that I was a diversity hire at the ABC, but I'm not a diversity hire. No. I'm a white man, and I've had plenty of opportunities, and I haven't really done very well off the back of them. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe maybe there's someone who deserves a lot of opportunities, someone who can do a much better job than I've been doing. Uh, but it's one of those things where. I feel like with the atomization of current media, you do have opportunities in the gaps for new media to spring up. A really interesting story that caught my eye this week, which is so sad, was to see uh, in Parramatta, there was a woman with a hijab who was pregnant and someone approached her at a cafe and had a... We don't know what was said, but it was an argument... Um, and then this man proceeded to bash this, assault this woman. Oh, cool. um, and this video from CCTV kind of was reported on haphazardly in Australian media. It, the ABC ran it about three days after other networks have run it. So it was kind of like interesting to kind of see if you don't have the kinds of people in those newsrooms who would be sensitive to this story, that's not going to get a run in on on mainstream media. But that story also was interesting because we have hyper-local... The hyper of news is happening and it's happening right now. So there was a Snapchat account, I think it's called Auburn with the postcode, I think it's 224, um, and that Snapchat account uh, watermarked it and then that video got sent around the internet. And it's like interesting to see these, these small community focused media groups who are focused on the community, serving their communities in a way that mainstream media aren't, are building trust with their community, serving their community with service journalism in a way that the ABC or Channel 9 can't, uh, or SBS even can't. And it's just fascinating to kind of see that these groups doing that. Um, You know, meme accounts on Snapchat are so full on. Like the guy who runs Lebo Memes, um, he has 100,000 followers... And he pub- he just does comedy all day while he's building, while he's building apartments in Western Sydney. He just pumps out, he shares comedy videos and, and pumps out the comedy videos all day long. And he's he's got such a huge following.
0: Well, and if you think about that in a broadcast sense, I mean, look, I don't know what the numbers are on, you know, act- <laughs> active views and all those sort of things. Yeah, but there would be plenty of radio shows in Australia that are on air that would be considered a place where somebody would go and talk or plug their show or and a politician would be interviewed or whatever yeah. that would be happy to have 100,000 active, uh, you know, listeners or followers. Absolutely,
1: or yeah, abs- ab- absolutely. So uh, even you, you know, you've got plenty of platforms in your life that you work on, but this platform, Willosophy, is the one that I I listen to you on. Mm. I don't listen, sorry, sorry, well, I don't listen to Triple M. Mm. I sometimes What? <laughs>
0: What, what, what part of the rock Will, sport or comedy say, do you not relate to? What's
1: fun about knowing you? <laughs> I, hear, I, I love Will Anderson is a fucking professional, <laughs> and here's what I love about Will, is that he knows who he is too. And I feel like on Willosophy you get Will Anderson. Mm. When you do Gruen, you get ABC Will Anderson. Yeah. When you get when you do Triple J, uh, when, you, when you do Triple M, you get Triple M Will Anderson, yeah. and you can hear in your voice how you change the tone and how you meet the audience where they are and how you perform for that audience versus the boomer audience at ABC versus your friends and who you, who you like to be on Willosophy. Well, weird- it's really fun to watch. Like, it's fun I mean, to watch. the
0: weirdest thing of all is that none of them are really me. That's right. Yeah. Like, because my approach has always been job-focused. So what version of me... What part of me, like I don't have to put everything of me into every job. I have to put the version of me that would best serve that job into that job. So on Willosophy, you get a version of me that best serves hopefully getting the best out of the people I'm interviewing because that's the job here. Like on Triple M, you get a version of me that best serves the show that I'm on there. On Gruen, you get a version of me that best serves that show, I hope, and the way that that show has to be executed. So I always think of it as... Like, what version of me do I need to best, best execute this job rather than what version of me do I need to be in this job? Does yeah. that make sense?
1: Yeah, but I, I love it because I have seen you work mm. behind the scenes and know how manic you are with your own personal writing as well. But when you bring it to those jobs, it's you plus like 20%. Mm. And it's, I remember I was in LA and it was the time of uh, the marriage equality... Uh, plebsite, and I was listening to all different media in the car, just flicking around from podcast to podcast, hearing what people were saying, and remembering you and Eddie talking to Daniel Andrews about it, and it was so interesting just to see, uh, just to listen to how you treated that audience in a way that just... you. It sounds like it sounds. It's. I mean, you you are a football fan. You are these things, but it sounds like you're in the you're in the locker room with mates, having beers after the game. And it's like, oh, this is this is this is this Will Anderson there. Yeah. <laughs> I just really loved. I just really loved you making cohesive arguments in language that uh, that folks can understand for that medium. And I just thought that was really
0: great. I've so this is something I've been thinking about a lot. I think about just through my work in general, but I'm less. I think that what i'm best at is being able to because my ideas are probably a lot more out there than the way that even through this like people hear a lot of my ideas on this but really if i told you exactly what i think of the world (laughs) (laughs) but that's not kind of the point is like the point is going can i work within this world where this idea wouldn't normally be raised or being played with in gruen I try to work with the advertisers as much as I'm working against them, right. and it's the same, you know, with Triple M, and it's the same with everything else. Which is like you're trying to go, hey, group of people, you like me, I fit in in your world, but here's an idea, perhaps that you know normally wouldn't be represented in this in conversation. It's like a I, very inclusive. I inf- no, I'm an infiltrator. <laughs> I infiltrate oh, their parasite. world ah, and I yeah, pretend to be yeah. their friend, <laughs> and then I knife them in front of people. Ah, oh, you're Bill Shorten mm-hmm. ah. <laughs> I see. I see. Um, okay, so um, what's your attitude to creating like work? When like, if if I say what I like to do is, you know, I often what I'll try to do is take a complex idea and make it presentable. Mm. You know, that's basically the world that I work in. Whereas. Yeah, some other people. The glory of what they do is in taking the complicated idea and you know giving it a complicated poetry around it that you know elevates it. You know, um, some people will take a simple idea to present it in a simple way. So yeah, there's a whole range of ways of doing things and perspectives, and none of them are right or wrong. What what's your attitude when uh, you're trying to make a piece of work?
1: I like having hard conversations in a really funny way. Mm. I think that's kind of what I like to do. And like some of the best things I've made have been. I've tried to make extremely silly and dumb but also interesting and, and smart as well. So probably my favourite thing that I've... One of the favourite things I've ever made was this climate science rap that I did for Hungry Beast years ago and where uh, for years in the Australian media all we've heard from people in Australian media is that Well, I'm not a climate scientist, but... And I'm not a climate scientist, but... And I was like, well, fuck, why don't we get some fucking Mm. climate scientists on some fucking programs to have some conversations about Mm. climate science? (laughs) And so I found... I got like 20 climate scientists from all around Australia to be in this rap, which I wrote with them and made with them. And it was... One of my favourite things because it got played at climate science conferences for the next, like, three years. And it fixed the climate <laughs> and problem. And as we now know... So as we, we now know, we the are, world is fixed. We are very comfortable with 200 parts per million. Yep. <laughs>
0: and, boy, you just breathe easy. Um, how do you feel about the future of the, the planet, the world? Like, are we being overly alarmist right now and the climate is much like you know, I don't know, Y2K and the threat of nuclear war and the, you know, the world, the great wars and the depression and the famines. (laughs) Like, do human beings always go through some sort of survival crisis in generations or are we facing something right now that is potentially world-ending, do you believe?
1: I don't think we're facing something now that's potentially world-ending and I feel like the choices that we've made in the past have made it very difficult to step back from it and it's pretty grim and I think there is good reason and good obligation to make the best effort as possible to mitigate the emissions that our country puts out and every country should be striving to do that. And I think that's that's the only that's the it's the only obligation we have is to cut our emissions and get it down to zero i saw dave sharma i live in wentworth here in sydney in in bondi and uh and i saw dave sharma at bondi westfield and uh i'd just gotten back i'd just been deported from annis island <laughs> and uh and i said to him i just walked past him and said oh, should i go see, talk to david I, said, I will talk to dave sharma and
0: well said, he's your local member of parliament he's my local member it's actually your responsibility yeah. as a citizen yeah. and if I you said, have an issue to go and talk to your local member of parliament
1: and i said Dave I congratulations getting in. well done. Mm. <laughs> there is the two great shames that I have being Australian. and there's only things that you can do things about. That is the situation with offshore processing is disgusting and it's awful and it is not Australian. And the other thing is our continual denial around climate change and the emissions going up is just unacceptable compared to every other country and he tried to tell me that admissions were going down and i said that's per capita it doesn't really work like that
0: yeah. <laughs> david you meant to start that sentence with i'm not a climate scientist just but, but. <laughs> <laughs> here's uh, this rap i prepared earlier
1: and he and he told me, look, I've been to Manus Island mm-hmm. and uh, I, I've seen those people are free to walk around and do whatever they want. And I said, yeah. And I said, I've been to Ma- I've been deported from Manus Island mm-hmm. and I've seen them walk around and be subjected to unfair treatment by officials not be able to work and not have any hope for any future and still being in limbo on that island. So uh, he, then he said, well, what do you want to do? What would you like to see? What should our missions be? And I said, by 2050, zero. He said, wow. <laughs> I'm like, there's no reason why that shouldn't be the goal there's no reason why we can't achieve that uh, and if you have a look at the way renewables are working right now they're working great the last week for instance 30 percent of the grid for a period of the time was run completely on renewables the week before 50 percent of the grid over 50 percent of the grid for a short period on one particular day a couple of weeks ago was um, running with renewables,
0: and yeah, but Dan, are you talking about wind and solar? That's <laughs> only going to work when the sun's <laughs> out and it's the wind windy. is blowing. Yeah, and what we've seen in South Australia is that the enormous
1: success of the Tesla batteries. Oh, they're, so they're- you're
0: saying some there's <laughs> going to be some technology where we can
1: store all this energy in <laughs> batteries, and that stuff is growing. They're doubling the size of that.
0: Hang on, you're saying that if we keep working on this, the technology will get better, like most technology does,
1: and you. And it's just one of those things where. No,
0: sir. The most powerful computer in the world will be as big as a hotel.
1: <laughs> so, that's what I think. And now you've asked me, so fuck you for asking me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, I. But I mean, I get. I don't get bored of talking about it because, I. I imagine sometimes people are like, "Why do you always fucking bring it up?" But the reason I always bring it up is because, at the very least, our responsibility is if we do believe it's. A major problem and oh, okay here's what I'll say as a baseline I live my life yeah we we get scientists to be scientists and we trust them in so many like when I get on a plane I haven't read the manual about how flights work and blah 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 I trust that some engineer and some scientist and whatever worked it all out and we do that in every part of our life constantly the idea that we would not trust the majority of people who work in this area and are experts that there is, at the very least, a major issue coming. Now, the fact that no one can really predict 100% what's going to happen, but most of them agree whatever's happening ain't good, Mm. even if we take that as our just base. Like, I know that it's we've got much more evidence than that, but I'm just saying back-starting position that we could all agree on. Both political parties should be saying we need to get emissions to zero by 2050, and then they have a battle of ideas about how you best do that. You know, The Liberal Party can go, well, we're gonna, this many years, we're gonna still have the coal-fired power plants, but in that time, we're gonna work on this, and we're gonna blah, 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 and the other side can go, well, our plan to get it to this is this, but we first, just both sides got to agree that you can't have Dave Sharma going, oh, how are you going to do that? How are you going to do that, Dan Illich? It's your fucking job, Dave Sharma. Yeah, how are you going to write a fucking comedy series for Audible? Mm. Oh, hang on, that's my job. (laughs) That's my job. So, you know what? Let's just stick to our lanes. (laughs) You ran for this position. And
1: the other thing is that it's an immense wasted opportunity over the last 10 years to make our economy... Uh, great again. <laughs> make economy great again. But make our economy think about retooling our economy for this renewable surge, but also using the fossil fuels that we are we have been selling and using the mining boom to to retool our entire grid to be zero emissions. Uh, to be Norway, of course, is. Fucking Norway, as mm. always. Bloody fucking Norway. Norway. They're always doing the yeah. most interesting thing in this mm. space. Good on you,
0: Norway. Using their, using Norway their fossil terms.
1: fuels to, to mm. build this enormous wealth mm. fund that they are now transitioning the entire country in a way that. Uh, they can be zero emissions. That's fascinating, and we should be doing that, particularly with LNG. We have been giving away our resources for fucking nothing. We've produced over the last 10 years more liquid natural gas than Qatar has, but we've not seen any of that wealth be pummeled back into our sovereign... into our sov- into a sovereign wealth fund at all. That's ridiculous. Like, it's so bizarre. It makes me furious because I don't have a Lamborghini and I know there are plenty of people in Qatar that do. Well, <laughs> but, the
0: but even, like, if it weren't a sovereign wealth fund, like, and certainly you could make the argument that if you're digging up resources that belong to the land, you know, the country, and, you know, to the original owners, let's be honest, no. but... but it, If you are going to use those resources, even in a transitional sense, if we were setting up a transitional fund, if we're saying, you know, like, we are going to exit out of these, like, dirty industries by using the super profits they're making now to put into transitioning all these workers and industries into the renewable industries.
1: And looking at how the market is around the world and doing that at a competitive price, that shouldn't be too hard. It's a perfect innovators dilemma you know it's like one of those things it's like you've got to be able to will you've got to be willing to like when netflix stopped using dvds mm. and when streaming that's the perfect innovators dilemma you have got to be willing to, to to cut the thing that's giving you uh the revenue right now in order to build the thing for the future and that uh, that hurts me so much that it, i find that so frustrating watching that unfold over years in australia and it's my, mainly due to the brainless ego games of the people who want to be prime minister uh
0: do you have hope because obviously the the hopeful side of this is because if we continue how we're continuing we're in trouble clearly the hope would be innovation right you know we speak about innovation in other areas the hope would be that you know these bloody scientists that we don't trust right now get <laughs> <laughs> get to bloody and work <laughs> and fix the shit for us i mean we probably shouldn't be pissing them off so much if we need them to fix it but you know that there is some sort of element of innovation that saves our ass
1: yeah i think there will be a, i think there's going to be a mix i don't think it's going to be a I don't think no one. I don't, I don't think anyone. I don't think Mike Cannon-Brooks is going to fund a startup that's going to solve the problem. I, I feel like the the best thing that everyone can do right now is mitigate emissions, get them down to zero, and then keep them at zero for a thousand years. <laughs> that's what that's that's how long they need to be before our climate can return to normal. And in that period, we need to think about the justice for people whose lives we are taking because of our first world lives Uh, and mainly in this area once again the country that we live in is surrounded by lots of islands that are going to be underwater and whose people are going to need to be resettled in places in rich countries who have taken the money and the resources and and spent way over the carbon budget so we need to be thinking about People from Papua New Guinea and people from uh, Papua New Guinea got mountains. They can just they could just go up in the mountains, but low lying areas like <laughs> yeah, Kiribati. you sound like an Australian
0: politician. <laughs> <laughs> like, they can just they've go up,
1: got up the mountains. mountains. They can <laughs> bloody go up the mountains. But Indonesia, Jakarta is sinking. They're moving the capital of.
0: Indonesia yeah. to Borneo they're I, rebuilding as far as I know from the Australian media I'm not even sure how many people does Indonesia have it can't be many can it isn't it just a small island or I, something look I think it's only 300 million okay, so, so it should be fine it'll be fine
1: <laughs> <laughs> and we you know we talk about boat people now we think boat people are a problem from places that where, where we've had conflict um Wait till wait till people start wanting to mass migrate because of climate change. And that is going to be, there's no, we don't have a very strong Navy. They can't even recruit people to join the Navy. <laughs> there are going to be more boats uh, that are going to be going through the traps than, um, than we have semen to stop them.
0: Yeah, I, that's, it's an argument that I talk about a lot, which is even if you are incredibly, like if you, even if you're a border protectionist, you should believe in you know, climate change for that reason. That is... The, if you really want it, to stop the boats, the best thing you can do is get zero limit emissions. emissions by 2050.
1: That is, that is a great campaign. That, yeah. should, that, that, is a, that is an excellent campaign. Can that be in the pitch yeah. tomorrow? Yeah. Is that a, that's a really good campaign. Um,
0: how do we change things? If How do we turn this around? How do we... Because it feels like we've been... Some things change, you know, like we made such a fuss over the marriage equality vote and now we're celebrating, you know, a couple of years on from it being passed in the first (sighs) place and... It turns out that Cory Bernardi had to quit politics because people didn't start marrying dogs. So <laughs> I think that, you know, when things do change, they can be quickly become normalised. Yeah. But at the moment, particularly when it comes to border policy and it comes to the climate, people just feel so incredibly divided in our country over those issues that you can't see where the reconciliation comes from.
1: That's really difficult and the way... Two party systems work now, it's really difficult. And then also to put that on top, the problem, one of the major problems with democracies all around the world right now is the way we consume information mm. and truth. And that is becoming a real issue everywhere. People have, <laughs> it's, <laughs> this is really sad to talk about. You know, people have been, there's been genocide because of Facebook. And it's like one of those things where if you can kind of get good actors, in power to do the right thing, then everything's fine and you have good information informing the people, reliable information informing the people about what's going on in the world, then that's great. But right now, we don't have any of that. We've got politicians who are serving themselves and then serving, them, setting themselves up for uh, remuneration after they leave office. And you've got bad information flows that are serving communities of people who who aren't going to trust anyone else because they're being told not to. And that is, is really disheartening.
0: Being told not to by the people they shouldn't actually be trusting. Exactly, exactly. Like, you know that yeah. thing you read? Yeah. That, that was the thing you shouldn't be trusting, it's, not the person they told you not to trust.
1: The thing that made me so angry when we talk about the kind of the revolving door world of politics was when Abbott was in power and Ian McFarland, Minister for Natural Resources, retired. When he retired, Tony Abbott, bold-facedly, just said in public, you know, he's been so good to the mining industry. I hope the mining industry looks after him in public, like to press cameras, mm. in probably in parliament. Mm. And it's like, and now he's, of course, the head mm. of uh, some minerals company and is a CEO and has strong links in China. And it's like one of those things where you're like, holy fuck, it is fucked, like... All these people are doing are setting themselves up so they can...
0: But yeah. I, I, I sometimes think that our level of cynicism around that, like, we see that, and we, what do we do about that? Fuck all. And so then when Trump, you know, is currently, you know, they're considering him for impeachment because of the quid pro quo, but that is a quid pro quo. I mean, it might yeah. not be a formal, I'm going to look after you guys, yeah. give me a job afterwards, mm. but... If it happens so often yeah. that somebody looks after an industry and then gets a job in that industry, then it is an unspoken quid pro quo. Yeah. And it's corruption.
1: But I think we're at the point now. Why? why how can Tony Abbott, as Prime Minister, say that publicly and there be no ramifications?
0: Right. So how can he? I oh, don't know. Uh, oh, okay. Damn. So you're really going you really you, you to answer that We were trying to get
1: um, comedian slash journalist Dan Illich yeah. to solve your problem. Dan Illich <laughs> would have
0: had a solution for this. Um, What do you see as the future of uh, the media? Are we currently in the last dying days of the old school mainstream media and that's why it gets really... Like, you know, it has to sort of bottom out before it gets good again and there's all these kind of cool indie media things growing up around it and perhaps predominantly people will get their news sources or is the fracturing of the media into these confirmation bias bubbles and these little worlds, these blogs, these communities... You know, is that the downside of you know the splintering of the media?
1: I don't know. It's really hard to tell. I've, I've been thinking about this a lot over the last ten years. Like that's how you know. I think about this all the time because it's my job. It's my. It's where I work. It's my industry, and it's so. Sometimes I'm really bullish on new forms of media and new broadcasters and new publications and new systems of getting things done and being embracing like embracing social media, embracing those platforms in order to tell to deliver journalism. But then sometimes I go, fuck, it's all fucked. Like it's it's one of those things where particularly when I was at AJ Plus back at Al Jazeera in 2015, I was in this amazing space where we were just delivering news over Facebook and that was it. It was so fascinating to be there back in 2015, seeing how we were aggressively leaning into um, uh, Facebook as a broadcast system, doing live videos like streaming, mass migration, um, with like Dina Tukuri as she was walking through uh, Eastern Europe with refugees from Syria, live, live streaming that, talking to refugees in Arabic and translating live in English, watching these live streams going, fuck, like this, is, this could be something. And then later working at Fusion in, a, in, a, in America in and in Los Angeles, seeing how we were being fucked by Facebook by the way they fucked up their algorithms and, like, how they overstated how many views that they were getting. So, all of a sudden, our KPI... Fucked up
0: or intentionally overstated,
1: Dan? Intent, Your comments. <laughs> uh, int- intentionally overstated. And they've said that pretty much themselves. That, mm. hey, you know, when you actually... When, when we said you are getting 5 million views a video, that's more like 12 yep. views. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Total. Total. Uh, so, you had these all these media companies propping up who were using Facebook as a broadcast system, who were getting the kind of numbers that wouldn't press advertisers jump on board. And then they realign their algorithm and all of a sudden they turned off the tap to the audience and no one is getting fucking anything. And, I'm a bit triggered because I watched Succession last night and I don't know if you've seen Succession but this is an episode where this digital media company gets fucked over by Facebook <laughs> and gets raided by corporate raiders and then gets dismantled from the inside out because of some family dispute and I had lived that experience in two different media organisations in America <laughs> over the course of two years. And it was like, holy fuck, like I, I have to turn this off because it's so disheartening to watch all these people get sacked because it happened to me and God got, got reorganised into other media companies and so that's really frustrating but then you've got um, broadcasters and publishers who are doing really interesting work and they are under the wing of a larger um, parent companies like uh, the constant one I always talk about in my mind is Vox I know Vox Media um, uh, they they do really interesting stuff and they look like um, they're an icon in the digital space but they're also owned by NBC so it's one of those things where uh, their parent company is this huge broadcaster who is still in this broadcast space and they need them to be able to run the game that they're running there. And for the most part, they're they're really successful. I don't know what their numbers are, but they are everywhere. They do great journalism and you see these organisations like that. Now this news is also
0: under NBC and then... Um, you've you got wonder though, like so. It's and I don't know any of this, but I just read uh, Catch and Kill recently, uh-huh. um, Ronan Farrow's book about um, well, in the investigation into Harvey Weinstein mostly, but also how it was covered up by NBC, partly because they believed that um, Dylan Howard and Weinstein had information on Matt Lauer, and they were using that as leverage to cover up the story. I wonder if Vox had got that story, whether they would have felt. The capacity to publish that story being owned by NBC, or even, or it would have been shut down on that level as well. Now, that's not. Well, me, I'm not saying that did happen. I'm no, just. Yeah. I'm asking a philosophical question.
1: I, I, don't, I mean, I don't think so. I think they're very separate, separate editorially, and they can kind of run their own show. But NBCU owns only a portion of it. Not, not, if, not. They're not a huge owner. Um, and it's one of those things where I think in Australia we are often six years behind, and I feel like now is probably the right time for something like that to pop up here a Vox, a Young Turks, a Crooked Media, um, people who are serious about what they want to make, and being able to create it for audiences here in a way. Because fuck, I've tried to get a rational fear up as a TV show for fucking years, and it's like, it's like, it's tiring. And I had the, when I, that's why I moved to America the first time, because I got a lot of momentum, and, um, uh, uh, and ran this great, uh, ran this great um, campaign to raise lots of money and people chipped in, uh, including you, Will, and we made 13 weeks of great digital content online for s- satire and, and news. And it was one of those things where I was like, well, this is going to be a great TV show. This should be a TV show. And then no one wanted to make this TV show.
0: Why? Because
1: Lewis and I are not Will Anderson and Dave Hughes.
0: Well, Dave Hughes and I have no <laughs> idea of the pitch to the ABC. And even like, or, no, or, or we're not Dave Chappelle. Yeah.
1: Like, that's the kind of people mm. they're thinking about when they want to make a new TV show like this. They're but like, Dave
0: Chappelle wasn't always Dave Chappelle either. Look, I know that. And you know, the ABC gave Hughes and Corinne and I the glasshouse. i mean a lot of the time because they believed in ted robinson and ted robinson believed in us but yep. they gave these young people an opportunity to do something and and we were not you know i was 26 or whatever 27 when i started hosting Glasshouse. Yep. and we did that for six years and we yep. made a lot of mistakes like there'd be episodes of that that i wouldn't want to look back on at all oh, yep. you know at the work i did on that show but they gave us an opportunity to make mistakes and sort of grow up and mm. learn how to do things so you know, they they didn't at the time go. Well, you're not Paul Meadermatt and you're not Mikey Robbins, so we're not going to give you an opportunity.
1: Yep, but now everyone's a lot more risk averse. I mean, Tonightly was a nice. Uh, the fact that Tonightly existed at all is a complete miracle, and it has a lot to do with the upper management of that who uh, of that place who no longer exists, who no who are no longer at that place. So it's one of those things where if you've got great leadership who can see the value in what new voices bring, then who can make the space and the resources available and you're going to be rewarded. But in a commercial situation, that's really difficult to kind of muster because look at Paul Rove. Like, that show being axed after two two episodes is a travesty, for not not for Rove, Rove, for the people who could potentially have that opportunity to be on that show and make stuff on that show. You know, like what you said, like the kind of show that you wanted to make would be something like, you know, in a, in a give space to young comedians.
0: What Rove showed—no, literally, it was going to be called Saturday Night Will. <laughs> <So, laughs> no, but, but you're right. Like, and that's such Ro- a disc- Rove's almost the one person who Rove will be fine because he's got he's got plenty of other things to do in his life. It, it, exactly. It's a, disappointing for him, but the real missed opportunity was every the single new voice who, is coming through, and that. the fact that Rove, to his great credit, is somebody who loves to make a space and opportunity for new performers to come yep. through. So, absolutely, that's the real. Tragedy, yeah, like
1: that. and then he didn't have people above him to allow him to do that, mm. and that is that is a travesty, and that is pa- bad governance. That is bad governance for your network. If you're making those decisions, if you're hampering, if you're being in a space where you're cramping creativity to the point where it can't thrive, you should see yourself out the door. You shouldn't be axing shows. Do you think it's this
0: harsh calling out of networks that's made you unemployable? <laughs> <laughs> Can I just say Jeff Bezos uh, is one of my favourite billionaires? No, I don't know. I don't think so. Look, fuck. No, I was joking. I started it. I'm not. I was joking. Well,
1: here's the thing. Because here's the thing,
0: Will. Because I'm not Will Anderson or Dave Hughes.
1: No one gives a fuck. Anyway, it's fine.
0: Hey, um, let me pause for a minute to stretch my back and go to the bathroom. Okay, we're back. Uh, I've stretched my legs, I've gone to the bathroom mm. and had to deal with a work issue, which uh, I won't talk about, but uh, that was a bit uh, bit of a shock. So if my tone has changed, if I feel like I'm back down uh, to well, earth. Uh, Adam
1: Hills is back in the country
0: and yeah, maybe yes, you've had true. it too good for too long. <laughs> yeah, it's a good point. I felt it. A disturbance in the force. <laughs> Gruen's going over There can it. be only one. <laughs> Gruen needs more beard. <laughs> Yeah, and I was just like, how about you with a beard? Can you grow a beard? And I can't, so I couldn't keep the job. That's the problem. Imagine if it came down to that. We tested beards, and beards are trending beards, really, beards really well. right now. And I can't. The hair on top of my head will not stop growing. I get it cut every two weeks. The hair on my face does not uh, hold up its end of the bargain. And somehow audiences are really digging one-footed people. <laughs> we thought about losing a well that I while. could do if I was desperate to keep hold <laughs> on to my job but you I can't do it. it I can't just take hair off my head and stick it on my face <laughs> well I probably could actually uh, anyway uh, so uh, we, we were ranting about the Australian media but we can move on about from that yeah. um, I want to ask you um, some of the you know more w- uh, philosophy standard questions yes um, the big one of course uh, what do you think happens when we die um
1: think uh, it all goes black and uh, I I would love it that I would love the whole idea of your life flashing through your eyes to happen because I had a pretty good life Play the hits, show real time. Yeah, what but just the hits.
0: <laughs> just the hits. I don't. I don't want it all. There's shit uh, that I've been trying to blank out. There are parts of, of my life that I. Uh, <laughs> 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 even, uh, even in reruns. Yeah. <laughs> even in reruns, when it flashes before your eyes, it's gotta like, go. Uh, it's gotta go. You know, uh, watch something on Death uh, Netflix. Uh, <laughs> Um, yeah, a highlight reel. A, a highlight reel would be great. Yeah, yeah, but from a
1: third person, yeah, from a third person, that would be really good. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like
0: really... a Facebook memory style. Yeah, this is what yeah. happened in your life. Yeah,
1: just over your shoulder, going and go. Yeah, I was, I was fat for so long. Why? Why have I? Yeah. Anyway, just the time <laughs> to just have a time to have a bit bit more regret before you before you have no more regrets. Um, right, look, I, I think I think you just I think you just go. I think you just go and it's all it's all over. It's
0: done. If you were gonna have the show reel of your life. Which bits would you want to go in slow motion so that you could enjoy them like more and appreciate them in a way that you didn't at the time and which bits would you fast forward through?
1: (sighs) Really good question. I think when I proposed to my fiancé, I think I would love to do that again, relive that again Um, because it was such a nice moment and it was a real fun day. And the, made, the way it made me feel was just incredible.
0: How, how did it make you feel? If you, that's not too personal a question. Uh,
1: just like finding my partner, you know, I've never met someone... Um, who makes me laugh as much as she does mainly it's because um, i am not a lot of people who make me laugh but i don't have to spend 24 hours with them in a day (laughs) (laughs) but she's just she makes me laugh all the time and um, makes me feel extremely loved and it's one of those things where it's like well i can't let this person out of my life and to know that i've I've, to kind of have to kind of see this from from that moment onwards you, you you kind of are two different entities at that point, and then when you move forward and in, in commit to this relationship, it's a different feeling altogether. So, yeah, anyway, I, I feel like that day was really special and I felt... I I'd cried a lot. <laughs> it was uh, one of those things where I was like, fuck, this is really special, we're on uh so anyway here's here's what happened well let me tell the story
0: well great i i wanted to know but i was being too polite to ask so i'm glad that i shut up for long enough that you decided to tell it anyway she's
1: gonna hate that i told the story
0: does she listen to the podcast uh
1: she listens to so
0: when 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 we started going out
1: right when she when we started going out um she knew who i was and of course i didn't know who, who she was so she had listened to every podcast mm. that I'd ever done, including ones with you oh. and with Osha and other folks. So you know we've done mm. similar st- styles. So she would have heard the times we were on, were in your apartment in LA, uh, the times the times you visited San Francisco, uh, and we did we did stuff there, uh, which is a that was a great episode. I have I was, another
0: podcast. It's called Fofop. F O F O P. It's bit it's on hi- hiatus at the moment. But uh, Dan did uh, several episodes of that. So if you've enjoyed today's chat and you want to go and search through some old episodes of Fofop, yeah, uh, you can find that.
1: There's some real interrogation. There's some good, great, great 2015
0: satirical comedy. In yeah. Those ones. <laughs> yeah, see what our thoughts about the world were way back in 2015.
1: So like, so, so she had kind of, so she had kind of known all my anecdotes, which is you know a real shame. <laughs> So I'll be like I'm launching us on this oh you yeah I heard, heard it. this one yep. <laughs> heard it. So it was a real hard it was a real hard kind of uh, test to kind of come up with new material Okay though
0: but is that here's what I would say about that is every time you tell a story you've told before for a moment even if you're revisiting that story or reevaluating but if you've told it a lot of times I think that you go back to being the person that you were when that thing was happening right and the more that you tell those stories over and over the way your brain works is that you can almost get trapped being the person you were in the story because you're repeating the story and it says to your brain this is who I am this is what I'm like what this story says about me is who I am still being forced to move on from your stories and create new stories or share new experiences did that help you sort of develop in the relationship I think
1: that's a really great way of putting it I think that's that's a really great Concept, and I think that's true. Yeah, so we're making our, you know, we make our, we as a couple, we make our own news stories. So trying to figure out, you know, what what we are as a team, as a as a couple, and that's that's really interesting. I like and because. My career has kind of been up and down and kind of around about like I've been several different people as we've discussed in the past with several different pronunciations (laughs) so it's it's one of those things where even my own brand identity as a performer has changed a few different times to suit the modes that I've been in um anyway it's yeah so I think I'm I'm definitely very different to okay so you were going to tell me the story anyway so we were Gonna, we we're going skiing on a ski trip in New Zealand, and I had a stunt ring in my ski pants for a few days, and just waited for the right time um, to to do it. And I was, this stunt ring was like burning a hole in my pants. Um, it was from Mordor, uh, so it was very hot already. Uh, <laughs> well, it was, it was so close to home. <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> and we we're in Lake Wanaka, yeah. and we we're driving uh, from Lake Wanaka, where we stayed that night, to to Treble Cone, and uh, uh, along the way. Um, Kate pointed out this little beach, this pebbly beach in Lake Wanaka. That was completely deserted. And she said, "Look at this beach. Let's pull over and take a photo of this amazing beach on Lake Wanaka." And I said, "All right. I think uh, I think this is it. this is it. This is it. It's now or never." And then uh, I started getting a bit nervous, and she started looking at the rocks. Um, she's a bit of a science nerd, so she's was looking at all the rocks, going, "I wonder what kind of rocks these are." Blah blah blah. Look at these rocks. They're so they're so shiny and sparkly. I was like,
2: all right, right, right. speaking Uh, of rocks,
1: (laughs) how about this rock? (laughs) (laughs) Got down on one knee and pulled out my stunt ring and she was like, what? Because at that time we'd only be going out six months Uh and uh, she said yes and it was just great and uh, yeah, it was just, it was really special and we just sat on that beach for probably an hour just hanging out.
0: Well, I like that. Did she have any sense that, you know, was she genuinely surprised? Because Gen- the fact that she's pulled over to that beach, it isn't like, hey, look, I've got this picnic set up yeah, on and, this. And like, you I know.
1: Loathe, like, I yeah. loathe that idea. Yeah. Like, I'd love to watch um, engagement own proposals on YouTube particularly ones that fail mm. <laughs> particularly <laughs> ones that have gone to such great lengths to set these elaborate things up and and the and the person says no yeah.
0: <laughs> no you're a real nerd look at the effort that you put into this
1: yes yeah, I I'm not going to say yeah. in front of 40,000 yeah. people at you're the, too much <laughs> with this basketball yeah. mascot <laughs> next yeah. to us
0: public proposals no always no a general piece of advice say yes say no later <laughs> that would be my blanket policy for a public proposal yeah say Yes in the uh-huh. moment and then immediately the minute you're away from the crowd say so, no. no and the reason I'm not marrying you is because you just made me do that
1: Exactly that is why and I didn't want I didn't want to do, do anything public like that because it's a very special private
0: event. I've had a few people propose a couple uh, propose at shows of mine it's not something that I love mm-hmm. uh, but occasionally like people met their first date or whatever was at one of my shows and they've right. been coming every year and they'll contact me and say this would be really special. Could we do it? And the process I go through to make sure that they're both cool with this. Like, I mean, without giving away the the moment, I will do how, so much how fucking... Do you, how do you do I'll that? I'll ask cre- friends and family. I'll say, who's in on this? Who knows about it? You know, I'll be very clear that, you know, is this not going to be a situation that, you know, puts her in that she's going to feel weird or awkward? like, you know, and so far, and I've only done it a couple of times, my strike rate's been okay but that's the reason i've only done it a couple of times is i've probably been asked 10 times as many times but i just couldn't get the Mm. surety that i wasn't going to put somebody in an awkward position
1: yeah i yeah i can't imagine doing it publicly particularly like if you know the person and you understand that that they'd be they would love it publicly Mm. then maybe (laughs) but but just because i i know my partner and there's just no way i was gonna do that publicly and there's no way i wanted to force it to happen, and if it didn't feel right, I wasn't gonna do it. But because we're in this beautiful, beautiful space, with this pebbly beach with these rocks on the ground and she's leaning down and saying check out these shiny rocks yeah. I'm like fuck
0: yeah. this, is the u- <laughs> this is the universe telling me if I don't yes and this <laughs> yeah. oh, it, yeah. it's going to be a turn ter- those, <laughs> those, those days doing improv in LA have been for nothing if I don't know how to react in this situation she's making me an offer and I need to make her an offer in return yes
1: and yeah. <laughs> 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 so that was really special yeah. and it's w- one of those things where I, I i just think your brain is racing so fast that you don't get to take time to savor it but we tried to do best we can and the, it, of course we went to treble cone we skied we had a lovely time and when we came home we had uh, photos of ourselves and you know what we what we post on social media it was like try it was like you know the thick of it or or utopia trying to figure out what was the right phrase to put up you know blah blah, blah. so we we put out something and then I put put it on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook and stuff and then Russell Crowe retweeted it. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, he loves love yeah. and to bring it full circle. He surface, does love love. He loves love. He just yeah. loves love. And uh, you know Russell and I mm. DM'd uh, for a period when I uh, was huge when, supporter when
0: of Australian comedy. Loves comedy. Loves love tonight, tonightly, tonightly. Yes.
1: Love tonightly. And we were DMing over a potential sketch he may do. <laughs> As the president of Australia, he wanted to like run for the president of Australia because he's not he's not an Australian citizen and he hasn't been been given the the citizenship, which is so baffling for such a great Australian. And uh, so he he one night was DMing me line by line this sketch (laughs) that he wanted to do on television, and we wrote it up. We tried to figure out ways to get him here to do it, but it just kind of fell over because we only had a few like a week or two left. On, of the show, but it just would have been amazing
0: to have this Trump-esque rally with Russell Crowe running for, for Australian president. <laughs> oh, man. I, it's so funny, my journey with Russell Crowe. I've, like, gone from, like, really kind of being, like, amused by him, yeah, him being a punchline, because Glasshouse years in particular... Of ...was at the height of, you know, throwing phones and reading poems at the BAFTAs and all that sort of stuff that was kind of the most... It was also him at his peak Hollywood, but also at his peak sort of, you know, stories around Russell Crowe and the mythology around Russell Crowe. And yet, as I've grown older and as I've seen how supportive he is of Australian entertainment, Australian comedy, like the fact that he champions stuff that a lot of people aren't even watching, um, that he's genuinely a fan of those sort of things, but also that he has quite a great sense of humour himself. Like like he can take himself seriously absolutely but he also can flip that like he does this thing where um and i'm fascinated by it um but if somebody tweets him about like a movie of his that they love but wasn't particularly commercially successful uh he will retweet it and all he put up at the top is uh one heart at a time <laughs> But and i know it, i know the master for, commander tweet you're talking about ev- no he does it for every time that happens like the first time i saw it i was like that's funny but now i've realized he does it for every one of those right, ones and right. it makes me i think it's really funny
1: and you know what what you realize when you are dm'ing with russell crowe mm. <laughs> is that he has the same kind of struggles that we have as creators yeah. trying to get things made and be authentic and all that stuff it's just that his are at, such epic levels a higher level yeah Yeah. and it's such a thrill like it's such a thrill to kind of share um very small (laughs) uh conversations with him about you know getting stuff made at different levels and that was really that was okay so that was really great Anyway, Um,
0: so work wise which of your projects if i just had to ask you snap moment are you most proud of are you going to slow down and watch when you uh you know get the a uh, little show reel of your life. Which one are you going to sit down on the couch, get yourself a nice drink, put your feet up and watch, you know, entirely of what you've done?
1: I haven't made it yet, but of the stuff that I've made, I reckon Beaconsfield is right up there. Mm. Beaconsfield, the musical in A-flat minor. When I look back at what we made and how we made it and the reaction around it, but then also how good it was, you know, getting five stars in The Age eventually, you know, it took a long time to kind of get to that point where it was... It was it was a critical success. I mean,
0: going through the controversy, and we've spoken about that on other podcasts, yeah. but going through the controversy around it and then for it to come out of that, emerge from that as being su- such a success. And then, as you've said, to see the people who were in it and made yeah. it with you go on to such great things as well. And be championed by great folks in comedy um, with
1: it, you know, and, and journalism as well. Um, and I, I really miss him because he was such a great... Uh, impresario of all things comedy, particularly in in Sydney, in the city. John Pinder was such a big fan of mine um, and always found time to have a chat and find space to make great things. So, um, yeah, I think that that was probably... Because I was very young. I didn't really know much then. I was just making something on a a whim, thinking, oh, yeah, that would be funny. We should make it. And then it kind of went crazy.
0: Uh, Okay. I I am running the ABC. They've decided to (laughs) let the... Um, the fools run the asylum, right? Right, right. right. Uh, Everybody else is gone. It's mostly just episodes of Gruen and Spicks and Specks. Yeah. And they've confused me for Adam Hills and they've given me the main job. (laughs) Good. I have a blank check and I come to you and I say, Dan, I know that you've got ideas. I, I want you to make the project that you've always wanted to make. What is that project? Without giving it away in a way that somebody else will steal your project.
1: Well... It's one of those things where I don't think they should be giving it to me now because I've had a lot of breaks (laughs) and it'd be a thing where I think I would love to build a place to facilitate creativity and a place to give people the opportunity to use the bandwidth, the tools, the resources, the knowledge to make their own stories. In many respects, it'd be creating a new Hungry Beast or a new Tonightly or a new uh, a rational fear with rotating hosts and and, and rotating um, uh, creators to give them a platform to make mistakes to great make great successes, and that would be a great thrill to do, and that would that that's that's exactly the thing the ABC should be doing, and that's the thing the ABC is not doing.
0: The problem is with the ABC is that it is taxpayers' money and b- budgets are tight and the media landscape is so big that it is like, you know, you are working on a limited budget and you can't approve everything and all those sort of things. So what if? Because uh, I buy lotto tickets. I don't gamble. <laughs> I don't I don't gamble. I, I buy lotto tickets too and I think, if I win
1: this $30 million, well, that's going to be three feature films, a TV series.
0: <laughs> well, so th- it's interesting you say that because... The reason I buy lotto tickets is that Amy and I just like to have the fun week of, of deciding what we're going to spend the money Right. On, right? It's just a fun game. Cause also, I will say, we are incredibly generous people when it's hypothetical. <laughs> all our, I, a lot okay. of charities are getting half of it. And then like, all our friends are getting a good chunk of it. Family are getting looked after. It's going to be the best three weeks of yep. your life. <laughs> but my ultimate fantasy... And perhaps it isn't Winning Lotto. Perhaps it's, um, you know, running into Mike Cannonbrooks, Is that his name? Yeah, Mike uh, at a Because uh, he lives in this suburb, yeah. or nearby at least. Yeah, yeah. Um, I run into Mike Cannon Brooks down at the beach, and I say, you've got more money than you can ever spend in your entire life, yeah. and I know that you're interested in shaping this country in a way that is yeah. um, to make it a better place. At the moment, you're focusing on you know, the economy, uh, on uh, the environment, Yeah. you know, but I think that you have bigger dreams than that. I think that you think that you want to influence this country in both, you know, in environmental sense, but also in say a creative sense, you could be the, you could be the patron of the next generation of creativity in this country. Help me set up a, you know, a Andy Warhol style factory, Factory. but a modern take on that where there's editing equipment and podcasting equipment and video stuff. And, There's a communal space and whatever that people can, creatives can come in and use the space and work with each other and, and collaborate. You know, like I mean, it is a Silicon Valley model in some ways, in that just get a whole bunch of creative people into a room and see what they come up with, and some of it will be monetized and some of it probably won't. You know, but the the imprint it will have on the future creativity of the country will be enormous and immense. Is that the sort of place that you would? like thriving you know facilitating people's ideas having sort of you know unlimited resources to Make various different things and work with various different creative people, even
1: limited resources. Because what I'm saying is, Mike
0: Cannon Brooks, if you are listening to this <laughs> podcast, we've given up on the ABC I, and now we've gone to you.
1: I, I, <laughs> would you believe I've pitched Mike Cannon Brooks? Oh, oh. No, <laughs> I would. yeah,
0: Actually, in retrospect, of course, I didn't think of that first
1: on on renewable on renewable energy content yeah, commerce, yeah. satire about renewable energy. Uh, never heard back, but it's one of those things where uh, like that would be that would be phenomenal, and it would be great to. Have resources to enact great productions and things like that to create Australian feature films that don't have to have a junkie in the suburbs as their main character. Mm.
0: Like that would be really that would be really great. Mm. Um, you mean Adolf's sister, right? Junkie, Junkie it, Hitler. Uh, yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah. <laughs> junkie dot <laughs> is what I mean.
1: Um, but yeah, it's just one of the. Yeah. Anyway, I don't know. Anyway, I've got I, I've got plenty of ideas in a mm. slate. You know, I'd love to I'd love to make them all, but being able to find creative, being able to find the gaps to get things made is a real thrill. Like um, in many respects, this um, Ride act uh, audio play, which which I've been making with Audible, is such a thrilling experience for us because we've slaved a year to to write it, and now we've got to make it and to have something that exists when previously it didn't is a real absolute thrill and a privilege in its own right. And I acknowledge that I am privileged to be able to make it and being paid to make it is extremely privileged. And, it's, and being able to do what I do, do what we do, is a privilege. I don't have to do a shit job. I just have to languish. In yeah. <laughs> Sometimes in my good job is shit, but <laughs> yeah, that's it's right. not a shit job. It's not a shit job. Yeah. yeah.
0: Um, all right. Uh, uh, so what are you most afraid of? I think
1: think making bad things that are ignored... Or making things that are...
0: I know, you want your bad things to be ignored. <laughs>
1: yeah, you want bad things. I've made plenty of bad things. I had a thankfully, ni- they are I had a
0: nightmare recently because they made a two-hour special, I think, about the TV show Recovery and the worst spot of stand-up comedy I've ever done in the history of my life. And there's some bad contenders on that list. What was, was the some, worst joke on that? Oh, I can't even remember what the joke was, but all I remember is the crowd were behind me the way it had set up, so the crowd are behind you. They're teenage kids anyway who are not really into my Jeff Kennett jokes. But, like, (laughs) they're behind you. You're performing to an empty wall and a cameraman. And, anyway, the whole thing was a nightmare. And it's, like, 9 o'clock in the morning on a Saturday morning. It's terrible. It was the worst.
1: I remember when you came on the scene, and the thing that always sticks in my mind, the first time I remember seeing you vividly, was would have been Good News Week. You're wearing a Triple J shirt, uh, T-shirt, and you had jokes about John Howard looking like Mr. Sheen. (laughs)
0: <laughs> Good observation. Holds up. And Still looks like Mr. Show. But it was like one of those things yeah. I was like,
1: oh, fuck, that guy's not that much older than me. He's really funny. You can actually do that? That's really fun. Mm-hmm. And that's that's what I remember, when I first remembered. It's that. funny
0: though, isn't it? Like, I mean, you look back, and again, this is what we talk about, the idea of, and there's part of me that's extremely grateful that so much of what I made, Triple J, and and Glasshouse in particular, where I was getting the skills to get better at what I do aren't recorded. I'm glad the first 10 years of comedy festival shows I did (laughs) don't exist on tape because there would be so many moments in them that I am am not proud of, that I'm glad that they're only memories that I've had to evolve from. And even when I hear you say, John Howard looks like Mr. Sheen, you know, like five years ago, 10 more probably, I really made a conscious decision in my life that none of my jokes about politics, if I was going to make them, would ever be about so-and-so looks looks like so-and-so. You know? Yeah. Like, that form of joke I find a really wasted form of, like, political comedy, you know? Yeah, because, you know,
1: we've evolved. There's stuff that I made 10 years ago on the ABC that I'm thankful now that uh, I know enough people at the ABC to have them removed from Mm. the ABC YouTube page.
0: (laughs) Oh, don't get me wrong. I asked the guy who made this recovery special whether I was in it, and I was not going to be above exerting my influence to make sure that I was not in it. Turns out it was so terrible they couldn't even include it. (laughs) Fantastic. (laughs) But, um... (laughs) All right, uh what outside work are you most afraid of not dan elic the worker but dan elic in real life what holds you back i have i'm aware that i said elic twice and then by the yeah, way yeah it's um, yeah. Uh, is
2: uh, it?
0: <laughs> oh, it's hard, it's hard <laughs> or is there not something are you a fearless person
1: no, I, I do get scared. I think, um, I think disappointing my family mm. would be right up there. Because uh, my, so my mum and dad are pretty interesting folks. They recently um, had their fiftieth wedding anniversary last weekend, uh, and I put a picture up on Twitter, and Russell Crowe retweeted it, which was pretty funny. <laughs> Russell loves love. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but my dad is my dad's had immense trauma in his life. He's a quadriplegic. He became quadriplegic when he was in his early twenties. And my mum has looked after him um, all that time since since they met. Um, and they've been married fifty years, and she's still looking after him today. And dad was very successful with his work and raised four boys. Mum and dad were very successful what they did and raised four boys and and who all have families and. It's like I'm, if I squander the opportunities mm-hmm. that I'm given to make an impact in a positive way, or I disappoint them, that would be traumatic
0: for me. No, I, I absolutely relate <laughs> to that because
1: they work. I mean, they they gave Worked up so hard. They work so much. Sacrifice ga- so much, and they didn't have to have. Well, mum in particular didn't have to have the life that mm. she has had, but she's made it really great. Um, so it's very, it's very uh, I think I'm, I'm a bit, yeah, that might
0: be What, thing. Uh, do you feel like they are very proud of you though?
1: I think they are, uh, I think m- mum, mum is, I'm pretty sure dad is, but dad won't tell <laughs> me, but I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure he is. <laughs> uh, I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure he is. And they love... They love it when I do Boomer content. Yeah. That's their favourite thing. <laughs> so they love it when I'm on the ABC. They love it when I do 702 Radio. And I think I always, I think I email 702 Radio asking for shifts there just mm-hmm. so I can tell Mum mm-hmm. and Dad that I've done
0: 702. Yeah, no, it's <laughs> that, nice. it's a nice to occasionally throw Mum and Dad a bone. Yeah, do something that Mum and Dad <laughs> would be proud, proud of. of in between the they other don't really understand.
1: Shit. They don't really understand what an eight-part narrative comedy is on what? Audible. They don't understand that. They don't really understand what uh, Al Jazeera it was or Fusion was. Mm-hmm. Or they don't understand I've uh, just been given this thing where I'm going to Kuala Lumpur for the week to hang out at the Obama Foundation to do like a leadership course. They don't really understand what that means. Yeah. <laughs> but if I go on James Valentine's show and do the plug, they will love that. If I join Pat Carvelis for the quiz, they'll think that is just fantastic. So it's it's one of those things where it's like, oh, I'm really doing the ABC stuff to impress mum and dad.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I can relate to that. I can definitely relate to that. Dad likes the Howie games, but he won't listen to this shit. <laughs> Um, all right, uh, I'm going to ask you the opposite now, which is, in your real life, what what aspect of you makes you most proud? What is it that, about you that you like as a you really like as a quality? I know that's a difficult question to ask somebody, and particularly as an Australian, there's a natural propensity to not. But you know what? How can like you've got to occasionally admit that there are things about you that you like or that you're proud of? So when it comes to you what are the what is that
1: i i try and look out i think i look out for people and when people are in a tough position i sometimes go out of my way to make sure their lives are a little bit less tough even if it's a small way i think i think that's i think that's what I like sometimes. Like I, I just try and look after my friends and people I know who... Because I see it with my mum. My mum does it. My mum goes out of her way to look after people. People she doesn't know very well as well. And I feel like that's rubbed off on me. And dad too. When he, When dad was a lawyer, dad would have a few key clients that would make all the money. And then he would have Yugoslav and Vietnamese immigrants knocking at his door to help them, and Iranians and all sorts of migrants come through our house, and he would help them with legal paperwork to settle in this country. And he would do it very cheaply because he's a migrant himself. And so I think mum and dad's openness and generosity in trying to help people have better lives in the small ways that they can, I think I kind of do that too.
0: In a fantasy world, when people are talking about you behind your back, what are they saying? Like, what would you love them to be (laughs) saying? It's a showbiz party. It's a showbiz party. It's it's a showbiz party. So it's the entertainment industry. Underrated. (laughs) Actually, I think that's what they do say, to be honest. I think you're actually pretty... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Might have locked that one in. Might have guessed the correct answer. I don't know. What would be your? I night- think.
1: I think. What, I think. One, one of the things that I used to take as an insult was one comic, like uh, comics of you know strange people, mm-hmm. as we all know. But like, one one comic said to me, "Dan, I don't know how you do it. You you you're just so prolific." And that I used to take. I like, I heard that a couple of times. What I hear is when a comic tells me that I'm prolific mm-hmm. is that. You make so much bullshit. None of it's very good, <laughs> you know. Like, but I like. I hope that this at least some of the stuff I make is impactful and funny and can change things, and uh, and people can use it as a tool to not only be delighted but also think about issues in a, in a different way. So that's what I. That's I, relate,
0: I relate to that. I mean, and I relate to the fear that is associated with that because. Like, I joke about it, but in a self-effacing way constantly, which is, like, the one thing that I offer is quantity. (laughs) You know, I can't guarantee quality, but I can... uh, Certainly, there's a whole bunch of shit you can consume. I'm making heaps
1: of shit. I'm part of this great comedy group, this global alumni of of comedians from all around the world um, run by uh, some Israelis. And I've spoken at South by Southwest this year on this panel about Donald Trump, making Mm -hmm. humour in the age of Trump. And my bio was uh, his... His quantity over quality approach has seen it before, Matt. The Sydney Opera House, Afghanistan, blah 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 blah. And I was like, "Oh, that is It's cutting, but I'll take it. That's fine. I'm am at peace now with it. And this is people from from people I respect. So, I yeah. but the very fact that I'm there with them made me okay with it. Yeah,
0: yeah I think when they're joking about it in print, yes, yeah. it's okay. You've it's graduated beyond. Yeah,
1: yet. I'm on a panel with a with a writer from The Family Guy, so I'm okay. I'll take it.
0: What special power from another? creator would you like to have that you don't think you have
1: i think jj abrams Mm. has this great ability to suck all the fear away from anyone when he's running something and i love that idea i love that idea that jj just gives this appearance that he knows exactly what's going on Mm. And he knows where everything's going. And people go, fucking, let's give that job to JJ. JJ will suck
0: the fear out of that. JJ's got this. JJ's got this. JJ's got it."
1: I think the ability to, and I think a lot of my jobs over my most recent career have have been those kinds of jobs where you have to be a capacitor. Uh, take pressure from the top and take pressure from the bottom in a way suck all the fear out of the room to give people uh, trust and ability to go and create things and that's, I really enjoyed that role when I was running Tonightly and I think that's kind of that's kind of uh, what I really admire about JJ and I, I'm watching direct him and directors and producers like him operate in a world where you wonder how the fuck did they make that and they just did it because they believe they can do it and they, 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 they and their team believe that they can do it. And I think having that ability to have that such confidence to suck the fear out of any project and be able to get stuff made and be prolific would be really awesome.
0: I can say this because uh, I know she will never listen to the podcast. Uh, but Amy has the opposite opinion about J.J. Abrams. Really? (laughs) She talks about his magic sorting hat and she believes that he just has eight random topics in his hat and then every project he goes into, he just pulls out two or three of the topics and he combines them and that's his latest project. And I think that you both have some valid points. (laughs) Well, it's like... I think, I think it's one of the, Like, every project, every big project <laughs> and every
1: feature film, I think George Lucas said, needs an insane idiot to run it. Yeah. And I think George Lucas is, is another person is very similar to JJ. And I, I say this because when JJ was wrapping up... There's a great anecdote where JJ was wrapping up... Um, uh, what was the TV show? Lost. When mm. he was wrapping up Lost and it was all kind of falling apart narratively mm. at the end there, <laughs> uh, George Lucas sent him a letter saying, It's okay, JJ. Um, people... Uh, It's okay, JJ. I made up Star Wars as Mm. well. Like, just like, I just made up Star Wars as well. And I was like, that is such a beautiful, truthful sentence that would give you so much joy to get it from George Lucas. Like,
0: you know. Um, What art inspires you? So, like, when you look at, you know, things that you consume to be inspired to, you know. Who do you admire? Like you know, what people do you go? I would love to, uh, you know, have the skill of this person, the you know, ability of this person. Um, it doesn't have to be you know, comedians or TV people. It could be uh, any sort of artist.
1: Yeah, well, like I'm immensely jealous of people who uh, who can do maths. I'm very oh, very proud. Yeah. <laughs> very, okay. Oh, uh, you'll be very impressed. Uh, yeah. I'll be very impressed if you can split a bill. But also, I can split a
0: bill. I can do basic. Uh, oh maths. my god, they're so good.
1: Yeah. Um, I think folks whose work I'm really jealous of really inspire me. So when I see people like Chris Addison directing Veep, mm-hmm. I get really in jealous. I'm like, fuck, I would love to be fucking directing Veep. Or Well,
0: uh, you know the thing about that is also, though, that I used to just do gigs with Chris Addison. Yeah. And Chris I saw, I've seen him at comedy festivals. Chris Festival. Addison's a dude my age yeah. who was kind of like starting out and getting like successful enough when I was starting out. to like. Yeah. We're guys who just did a bunch of gigs together. If I ran into Chris Addison in the street like we would catch up and say hello and kind of consider and I watch veep which is one of the greatest TV shows I've ever seen in my yep. entire life and see fucking Chris Addison at the helm of that and I just think good on fucking Chris Addison Yeah
1: and yeah, yeah that people like that I go fuck you know I'm jealous that you get to do that I'm I'm jealous that Armando gets to create his feature films I'm jealous that um I I would love to be able to do those things and that's kind of what I want to do and that's I think when it, when it comes down to it, that's what I'm excited about this audible job. I keep bringing it back. It's not meant to be no, pluggy. No, it it's literally meant to be pluggy. But it's like... We when arrange
0: I'm... this and we're doing this <laughs> the night before the final Gruen. Comes and out. the reason is this is coming out. the only time that I could get it out in yeah. time to put it up a week after your fucking show. It. So if you didn't plug it once on this entire thing, I'd be like, Dan, we could have done we're... this fucking any time. <laughs> but the thing, the thing is... <laughs>
1: That's the opportunity that I've got, and I want to make that opportunity as good as it can be, so I can get the opportunity to do the the bigger projects. And that's that's the hard thing, you know. That's like to to not make any money on this project is really difficult. But I'm I'm doing it and putting all the time and effort into making it, producing it. um,
2: uh,
0: But it shows that you can. Like I mean, I know that you have a lot of things that show that you can. But to put together a eight part narrative. Yeah, written as if it was going to go to TV. That is suddenly somebody can somebody can trust you and read scripts even but when they hear it when they hear it as a complete piece and they go oh hang on okay now I understand it that is a different calling card
1: exactly and that's kind of what you know, I would love to be able to suck the fear out mm. of a network executive at Channel 9 or Channel mm. 7 or Channel 10 yeah. or the ABC or Netflix you know
0: how you like listening to this imagine if it had pictures <laughs> yeah
1: exactly, exactly. <laughs> that's my pitch okay. and I fucking worked in television for a very long yeah. time it would be really easy to, mm. to do this
0: I know how to get pictures <laughs> I've made I can yeah. go viral look here's some stuff that I've made that has pictures in it pictures and sound and we could just do it tomorrow
1: yeah. you know that would be that would be the dream to, be able to, to suck the fear out of the room to, and to execute things that you know I'm really energised about that'll be great and like seeing people make great great work always energises me people who set the bar high who make great work who I know personally um, like yourself like like Will I'm a big fan and are a peer, but also a leader in what we do. And other friends like um, uh, uh, Tim mentioned is the same. And you know, watching Rebel Wilson go crazy is 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 amazing. And seeing folks be able to have agency in what they're doing and take it to the next level is really inspiring. Watching Ronnie Chang fucking kick goals day
0: after day after day. Ronnie's just a great example of somebody who. I mean, you could just tell. Yeah. But he's also just made it happen. Yeah. You know, like and he, he and and he goes from strength to strength.
1: Yeah, and like Eddie, perfect in in America, I is know. killing it. Like that is these people who oh, and like the Cates, the catering girls are so phenomenal. Like these are my peers who have grown up with doing comedy and seeing them succeed makes me incredibly jealous, but also makes me want to work harder and inspires me to try and get things made at that level.
0: Yeah, jealousy doesn't have to be a bad thing. No, no. In fact, I think there's something really wonderful about occasionally being jealous of your friends because it's a recognition of, A, that they've done something really great and that they've done something really great that you, you would like to do. Exactly. And as long as you move out of that pang of jealousy in fact i've talked about this with ronnie a bit on this podcast before (laughs) like in that we we both probably auditioned for the like a similar role on the daily show around the same time i was sending in you know a series of tapes at the same time you know getting auditions so was i and we all know know what happened yeah yeah. (laughs) right yeah but so initially when he gets that job there is a pang of jealousy from me but it It moves out quickly of jealousy into being proud of him and also it being inspiring to me that going, look at him and how well he's doing. Like, I still can, you know, do some other things as well.
1: So, and really proud of Ronnie. Whenever whenever he's touring and doing great shows everywhere around the the world. It's like, fuck, you're just doing it. It's great. And doing features and stuff like that. I mean,
0: I look at Daniel Sloss, who used to, you know, (laughs) he's been on this podcast. He used to do fucking faux-fop every second week. Daniel Sloss would get drunk, talk for hours. What's he on now? He doesn't have time for that now that he's got eight Netflix specials and a HBO special and he's touring every single country in the world to sold out crowds off the back of his fucking awesome stand-up.
1: And That's it. Oh, yeah. I think that's. I think that's right. And watching your peers do. I went really to work. say
0: you too, and Hannah Gadsby was on the screen behind you too, and really? I was just like, she was going to give up comedy three <laughs> years ago. And there she is behind well, Bonner.
1: Hannah's a great. <laughs> Hannah's a great yarn. We were just like listening to her. I was. I had pangs of jealousy being in Los Angeles and listening to podcasts that she was on. When in 2016, where she was saying yeah. this is her final show, because mm. like knowing Hannah's work and admiring mm. Hannah's work, thinking, "Fuck, I wonder if I can just get to Melbourne to see the show. I wonder if I can get to London to see the show. I wonder if I get to Edinburgh to see the show." And then like then seeing her blow up, I instantly regret not taking any of the all of those flights I thought about from LA back to back home
0: to watch this show. I but mean, I saw that show in Melbourne when she did her first ever run of it. Uh, well, she'd done Adelaide, but you know, like she, her first Melbourne run yeah. of the show. And it was wonderful then, but it, it turned into something even more magnificent than uh, that along the journey. And it was such a show of a time. And the thing that I also loved is, like, I went and saw Douglas, her follow-up show, and I enjoyed it maybe even more. Mm-hmm. It wasn't as culturally significant, but I thought it was equally as, as entertaining and challenging and interesting show and hilarious show as the previous one. So... It's not even like lightning struck and the, she has established herself as one of the greatest comedians in the world and, and it's amazing to see.
1: And she would never, ever be commissioned to show on Channel 9. But well, she can shift global culture, you know, like that's...
0: Never. Even now, she wouldn't come back to commercial television in Australia. Uh, yeah, but even it, now, even on the ABC, she was only getting sort of bits and pieces on yeah. the ABC, which you know, must be looking at her now and going, hang on, she should have been on every second show.
1: Yeah, it's thrilling to see her shift culture and Josh mm. uh, as well, like watching those guys dominate in their little in their fields. Just, you know, it's very inspiring. And um, yeah, you know, you, I want a piece of that. I want yeah. to make the big things.
0: Well, you've still got plenty of time. That's, <laughs> well, you do. How old are you now?
1: Turn 38 this week.
0: Yeah, okay, so... Seinfeld, Ricky Gervais, all those guys didn't start doing their best work until their 40s. Most of their best work happened in their 40s and throughout their 40s into their 50s. Um, You look at someone like George Carlin, he didn't become the George Carlin that we know now until into his 50s. Billy Connolly even, like, you know, really started warming up into what we consider Billy Connolly to be, you know, late 30s, right, you know, and onwards forever, you know, like there's this thing in australia i think where we get a little bit too obsessed with youth and newness Mm. and we don't realize that particularly with comedians part of or people who work in comedy Mm. part of what makes your comedy great is your capacity to understand life better you know that you have more of a relationship to aging you've seen people die you have more you can't make those flippant, like I think Steve Martin wrote about it in his book about you can't make a flippant joke about cancer once you've lost a whole bunch of people to cancer mm. and that's what life is like, you yeah. know, you get more aware of the realities of life. It's harder to make that you know, flippant abortion joke when you know a bunch of people have had abortions. and. There's something great in that sort of naivety and boldness of youth to say anything, but there is something so much more emotionally satisfying in seeing somebody who's grown up and is considering their opinions and challenging their opinions and looking at things from... The fact that your series isn't just about a right-wing shock jock, but you've juxtaposed it with, you know, someone who worked at a get-up-style organisation and that you're going to parody sort of equally and use that as a bouncing-off point to sort of discuss the idea that perhaps people on both ends of the spectrum can often be working for their own reasons and bouncing off each other or be naive or, you know in their own confirmation bubbles is the sign of a mature performer who might not have made that same show you know 15 years ago yeah i think
1: you're right cuz i was banking a lot more invoices from get up back then mm. <laughs>
0: Hey Dan, this has been a pleasure. We've uh, got to stop talking because yeah, oh, it's people, been will be, two hours. people will be bored. Yeah, no, it's, <laughs> we definitely have to stop talking. Thanks, I've, well, I've, I've got to have a voice for tomorrow. <laughs> Thank you, Matt.